and welcome to episode 105 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is Steven Setsuna Myronink. Wow. First you said my name wrong. I... And then you said my girl name wrong. <laughs> okay, I slurred a little bit. Thank you very You're much. You're like Steven Setsuna Myronink. Oh, I'm the one who hasn't been using English all that much lately. You know, Setsuna-chan! Senpai, seriously, mm-hmm. do we have to do that? Steven, how you doing, sir? I'm lovely. I'm playing Ikinie Toyuki no Setsuna, the new Chrono Trigger game from Square Enix. Is, is this going to be a sequel where they just kill off the entire main cast and blame everything on the new hero? Well, that, the cre- that, that would be no, awesome. it's not the new hero's fault. Dalton killed them. I know, but it was awesome. And the creator already said that that was a parallel timeline where they failed. Uh, as long as Bill and Ted show up to fix everything, I'll be okay. I would like it if Bill and Ted showed up. That would be awesome. Ted had an excellent adventure. I like Bogus Journey. That's an underrated film. I mean, it's weird, but That's it's an so awesome. Movie. That's a good I agree with you. Speaking of excellent films, who else is here? Uh, all right. <laughs> well, we, we also have Caitlin uh, Firewatch Argyros. Hi, Link is there all on the boards. I'm super happy it's Friday. Friday, Friday, gotta get down with Friday. And a really nice Friday. It is so beautiful in St. Louis right now. It's weird that it's this warm, but oh my god, I can't I, wait. I hate you. Pretty warm here too, which sucks because I want it to be cold. Oh, that's right. You like cold weather. You always get so upset when we're at E3 and we have to walk and it's all sweaty. Yeah, because it's like 10,000 degrees outside. You lived in South with- Carolina! Yeah, and then I left because it sucks for more reasons than that. But. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not get political. Let's <laughs> we love not... you, South Carolina. It's not a political <laughs> thing. South Carolina just, you know. Forgive me, listeners that like South Carolina, but I don't agree with you. The primaries are approaching. In South John Carolina. Tucker, get in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, everybody. John Tucker, two car on the board. It's okay. Steven's not running for office in South Carolina or anything. So. Uh, oh, God. Oh, God. oh, God. No, but he is running for office in our hearts. So Yeah, that's right. I am the incumbent. I would vote for Frank Underwood. How about that? Can, can we do that? Oh, that's right. That's right. You guys, am I the only one who watches House of Cards? Oh, he's, no, 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 no. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm getting, I'm getting Netflix just to watch season four. I've been watching the episodes on Blu-ray, and I can't wait. And wait a minute, wait a minute. Caitlin, are you on Team Claire, or do you think Claire's screwing everything up? Uh, I'm totally on Team Claire. Oh, come on, Caitlin! What? No, no! She's messing everything up. Sorry. After after the way season three ended, I cannot be on Frank's side. Oh, my God, that speech that he gave her was just amazing. They need each other. It was horrible. I mean, it was great. They're both terrible human beings, of course! Uh, yeah, but he ranks a little bit higher on the terrible human being scale just because of the way he's treating her. Oh, that's that's yeah. the reason, not not the counts of murder or anything like that. Well, you can be no, that's, multiple ways. That's problematic too. But come on, <laughs> come on. Speaking well, of it's problematic, me. You, guys are, you guys are talking about a TV show, right? Oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just silently judging Rob for still not having Netflix. I'm one of those people who, when you tell me you're like, yeah, I don't have Facebook or Netflix, I'm like. Millennial. No, 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 no. It's it, it's not for that at all. Uh, what I found was I had Netflix, and then when I met Jackie, I, I don't think you guys understand 
how our media shelf is. Maybe I should take pictures and put them at the bottom of this episode. We own like 3,000 movies. Like a su- I can like, watch 3,000 movies without having to have a single DVD. I know, but like we we just we own that much media. So there's there's not a whole lot I can do about it and we just found that we were we enjoy owning stuff more than watching it on Netflix. So we got rid well, of Netflix for a while. It's the bookshelf thing. It's like, you know, you like I I like the notion of an e-reader, but I like looking at a stack of books more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, Rob, we're we're the same way. Got a million DVDs. But uh, we don't have Netflix just because we'll never get through our freaking Prime wish list. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I made the watch the mis- list. I made the mistake of watching Evangelion 3.33 last week, and my head is still like a jumbled mess of. Oh, now I know why the internet has rage. So I that still was- haven't seen the third one. Uh, did, the first two. Did you like two? Because I I adored two. I liked how two was like, hey, remember all those things you thought you knew were going to happen? No. And, and also, it was a like, hey, guess what? The pacing's better, and Shinji's actually awesome. And look at like this amazing character moment for him. Yeah, the third one kind of pulls a Chrono Cross and just says, yeah, all that stuff that you thought was awesome, uh, it was actually him screwing everything up. Oops. Don't spoil anything. Uh, it's Don't actually it. impossible to spoil because it's kind of an incoherent mess. I I literally could not spoil it. For impossible me. to spoil. No, it. I, I'm not going into this right now. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about Firewatch. Let's let's, let's talk, talk about, about Firewatch. video games. Video games. Okay. I like radio games. Oh hi, doggy. <laughs> Firewatch. Walking so, later. Is it worth it? <laughs> uh, I think it is. Okay. Um, cool. Tell me. I think. I'd say it depends on how much you value. Um, having a long play experience for your, for your book. Cause it's not, it's not the longest of games. Um, I think it's a really good experience for how, you know, I think you can finish it in like uh, four to six hours, depending on how much you explore and, and mess around. So it's not, it's, it's kind of a, on the shorter side of things, but it's still a really great story and great character interaction while you're having your adventure. So you play this guy named Henry, and his life is basically in shambles. Uh, And that's one of the coolest things. I wasn't even expecting this is how the game starts. You're you're told, essentially, this guy's backstory, and it starts off, you know, kind of sweet and and nice, and then it gets worse and worse and worse, and I was left kind of beside myself at the end of it. That was an amazing way to start the game. So he's kind of he's kind of in a you know has a shitty life at the moment and he goes for the summer to this national park to be a uh, a lookout for fires and has some adventures um, exploring the park checking things out he's got uh, his boss Delilah uh, who you never actually meet in person you only ever talk to her over radio do you ever say hey there um, to her. What? Do you ever say hey there to her? To um, hey there, Delilah. Possi- it's possibly an option. Um, you have whenever you respond to her, you can choose different responses. So there's a mm. little bit of role play and sort of a, you know, dialogue tree kind of effect going on there. And maybe it's one that I didn't pick, <laughs> but there are there's there are some funny. Um, little references to different things. I, I found a uh, Last of Us reference at some point. Um, there's, some, that. there's some pop culture references. Like, for instance, uh, 
you can adopt a, a turtle that you find <laughs> randomly, I think, in the uh, in the park, and one you can you can give it names that are basically puns on it being a turtle. One of those names is Turt Reynolds. Yes, <laughs> the best thing ever. <laughs> I could not, I could not, not pick it. Um, but the writing is really good. Just the the back and forth between Henry and Delilah. They're both um, snarky, sarcastic people and feed off each other very well. And it's believable. And you get in very much endeared to both Henry that you're playing and this other person you talk to that you never see in the entire game. Um, and that's just really, that's a really cool experience. Uh, the game itself looks really pretty. It's got kind of a, you know, minimalistic thing going for it. It's not it, supposed to be realistic. It's, it's very the long dark in a certain way. Yes. Mm, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was actually thinking as I was playing that this is this is the this is PS4's uh, long dark essentially. At least until PS4 gets long dark. Yeah, which is going to happen. Well, what's interesting to me and you know, I haven't played Firewatch yet, but uh after you and Mike told me about it, um it's certainly something I will play. It, it like there was an article I can't remember where it was, but it was like people getting refunds after they finished and enjoyed the game, and they're like it's too short. And um, it's interesting to me that like some people really do just define the value of the experience based on how long it was. Boy, that works out of context. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh my. But like, no, seriously though, like you know, you think about it, it's like nine 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 is a game that maybe takes eight hours to finish. And I would never refund nine. If I had bought nine nine when it first came out, I would never want to refund because that's like an unforgettable, excellent experience. And you know, you go to a movie, and you know, not that the media is the same, but you go to a movie and you spend, you know, twelve, thirteen, wherever you are, dollars on a movie ticket, and it's like that. That lasts at most two and a half, three hours if it's Chris Nolan or a terrible Transformers movie, and you know. Why is the value assessment different just because at some point games took 500 hours to finish? Some of them still do. It's, well, it's, it's actually sort of funny because I think back to when John used to be on the show. Uh, not John Tucker with us now, but when John used to be with us. And like when we first started doing the show, like the first year or something, he would talk about, he's like, well, I've reached a point where I don't want to play a game for 900 hours just because it has a million randomized events for me to do. I want a game that's 10 hours that I can finish that's awesome. And I have come around to that. Yeah. Probably because yeah. when that yeah. happened, Absolutely. I was unemployed. So, uh, and had just finished college. And if there's anything I know about college, it's that there's a lot of time to sit around and grind. And now I don't want to sit around and grind. I want to play, you know, Virtue's Last Reward, or, you know, I'm playing XCOM, and XCOM is a game that seems like you can play through it multiple times. But it's like, you know, it, it's more the the characteristics of the experience rather than the length of it. Obviously, I don't want a game to last 20 minutes, but... Well, so, it, Caitlin, on, the, on that subject, is, is Firewatch a game that you would replay a bunch of times, or is it one that, like, once you're done, one time, you're pretty much done? Um, I would replay it just because... The dialogue choices. Uh, I don't know how extensive it is. If it if they really 
change things towards the end or whatnot, but just, you know, to see the different responses. Um, I mean, you can be, you can be super sweet to Delilah. You can be, you know, an absolute dick to her if you want. And I would imagine that changes how she reacts to you. I don't know for sure. Um, on the other hand, the story has you sort of exploring this mystery in the, in the, in the park. There's some weird stuff going on that you learn about, um, shortly into your stay there as a, you know, as a lookout. And I'd imagine it's going to kind of be like other mystery games, um, like thinking like heavy rain and whatnot, where once you know what the twist is, it may not have as much of an impact uh, the second time around. Mm. And I mean, it, there was there's a point midway through where it got its hooks into me, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool. This is this could potentially be kind of creepy." And it was still an interesting twist. It wasn't what I expected, and it might it might potentially be a little bit of a letdown for some people, depending on uh, what you know what they expect or what they think the twist is going to be. But it was still a really cool twist, and kind of I, it was actually kind of neat. Now that I think back on it, that they they didn't go super creepy, super ridiculous. This is some, you know, weird level X-Files kind of crap going on. It was a believable twist um, that sort of humanizes some of the characters and and the events going on. Um, so it, it seems think, like, you know, I think it, with the case with a lot of story-heavy games, I think mechanics people will probably balk at the notion of a the game's price and b like the well I don't want to replay it just to get a different dialogue thing. But if story heavy type experiences are something you enjoy, I it seems like repeating it would be more worthwhile. Yeah. Well, and and with you know with things that have a mystery, it seems like especially if it is only a few hours you know long versus you know say an eighty hour game. Um, there's some more to be had in terms of like, all right, now I know how this ends. Could I have seen it coming? You know, mm-hmm. or what, what clues did I miss the first time around just because I didn't know that that was what, how it was going to go. Now, are there any puzzles in the game at all? Maybe that maybe I'm being the mechanics guy right now that Steven's kind of talking about, but are there any puzzles or is it just, you know, you're in it for the narrative. That's the main draw and like the beautiful scenery. It's pretty much you're in it for the narrative and the scenery. There okay. are, there are pretty much there are no puzzles that, that I'm aware of, unless I totally miss something. And, and, um, and I didn't mean that as a negative. Well, no, ahead, no. I said so. It's not the witness, in other words. Which no, is sort oh. of you're in it for the puzzles. No, 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 no. It's it's more in the style of um, I guess other. Uh, <sighs> walk around, pick up stuff, adventure games. Um, I haven't played uh, games like Gone Home and whatnot, but I, I think it's it's probably more along those lines. There's no, you know, there's, there's no combat, nothing like that. You're walking around, you'll pick up some notes, you might have to rappel down a cliff here or there, um, do other things, but you're not, there aren't, it's not a mechanics-heavy game like that. It's uh-huh. mainly about the story and exploring the park and figuring out what's going on and having awesome, snarky conversations with uh, your boss over the radio. 
Got it. Got it. And I, and I didn't mean that as a negative. Like, I think it's just important for people to know what they're going to get out of the game. And if it doesn't sound like something that you're interested in, you know, it is what it is. And to get back to what, yeah. Ste- and to get back to what Steven was saying, like, I agree with you, Steven. I don't want to be playing a game for a hundred million hours anymore because my free time is very, very limited. But if you were say a high school student or a college student and you, p- you spent money on a game you probably want to play if money's tight you might want to play a game for lots and lots of time and so a you probably shouldn't buy firewatch unless you're really into narratives because you need to understand that this is not a game like XCOM that you're going to replay over and over again necessarily and b i can kind of see where they're coming from like when i was a kid and i only got like one or two games every month or so you know it was a it was a big deal that I get a lot of bang for my buck. Like I was listening to a retro encounter talking about parasite Eve. And one of the reasons I didn't pick up parasite Eve as a kid is because when I, when I heard it was only, you know, a handful of hours, I was like, well, I kind of worked my butt off this summer to earn some money, like some allowance money to buy a game. I don't think I want to spend it on a game like that. You get what I'm saying? Ah, uh, children. I know, I know. It's again, as you grow up, your your priorities are going to change a little bit. No, that's absolutely right. It's you know that that goofy sort of inaccurate truism of you know, time, money, and games to play. Pick two. Yeah, I mean, I when. Go ahead. Well, picking another another retro encounter, the one they just finished. When the first Pokemon game came out, I was I was just out of college, I think. Uh, I I maxed out the clock on that thing at 256 hours. Now I've wow. I, I've played like every generation since then. Don't know if I've ever finished any other ones. Mm-hmm. Even though I really like them, I keep buying them. Well, it's you know it, it's. I no longer consider having gotten my money's worth out of a game finishing it necessarily. Like mm-hmm. I like to finish almost all the time. You know the games I buy, but. You know, the reality is that oftentimes I'm like, I really like this, but there are 10 other things I want to be playing as well. So uh-huh. uh, I want to also try those out. Yep. So Firewatch seems oh. to get your recommendation, Caitlin, correct? Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I mean, it's um, it's 20 bucks uh, unless you're, uh, I think if you pre-ordered it and um, for the first week or so it was discounted for PS Plus members. Um, so I only ended up paying 18, but I, I'm fine with putting that money down for the experience that I got. Um, mm-hmm. the only downside is, uh, I, I don't know if this is just the PS4 version, but it kind of runs a little at times, a little crappy. There are, yeah, there, uh, it skips, um, like, I don't know, I guess it just can't handle maybe all the pretty graphics which is weird but uh occasionally it'll it'll skip around it's not it's not game breaking it doesn't it doesn't really interfere with you really to play it it it's just a tiny bit of immersion breaking when it happens but it doesn't it doesn't really tarnish the experience that much it's just a technical issue so it that's something, something to think about if you're, if you're trying to decide if you want to get it on ps4 versus pc so i feel like i read that there was a patch today to work on that a little bit. This being Friday, as we're in the middle of recording, maybe that's true. That, uh, I would, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, and hopefully that helps uh, a little bit with the performance. It's still a really pretty looking game, and considering that it isn't a super long experience, I'm more lenient 
uh, I guess with that kind of thing, if it was a much longer game or if it was more mechanic heavy, I would be like, ah. But I mean, I had a few hiccups out of. Um, I probably spent like close to six hours because I take longer playing games, but you know, I can deal with that. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, if if anybody listening, if you're if you're listening to this within two weeks of February twenty first, Sunday. <laughs> Caitlin's going to be streaming it uh, on our Twitch channel Sunday morning. No, I'm not. That day. You aren't? Oh. I am not. Uh, oh. Who's playing it then? Somebody's streaming it. I'll have to look and find out. <laughs> Somebody's now doing I their job up, on the site. I, I, I Let me, up my I own can, plug. I'll pull it up real fast. It's not me. That's not that much I know. But uh, It is not yeah. high. Nah. Uh, yeah. Robert. Uh, oh, okay. Robert Fenner is going to be Just Robert Fenner will be streaming it, yeah. And uh, the the record the recordings stay up for two weeks. Yeah, so, so definitely uh, check it out. All right, so Firewatch. Uh, okay, we gotta talk about XCOM. Uh, Steven, you are playing the original XCOM right now, right? I'm playing Enemy Within, okay. which I did not know you hadn't played. And every complaint you've ever told me about the game seems like it was addressed by Enemy, Enemy Within. So Okay, so so a little bit of backstory here. So the original XCOM, uh, I say original, but the reboot of XCOM was Enemy Unknown. And then a year, um, maybe two years later, they decided to do Enemy Within, which was a huge expansion to the original game, gave you lots of new character classes, a lot of variety, Um and you've really been enjoying it. Like we've been texting back and forth when I'm, you know, supposed to be teaching. And you've been kind of. I, I always knew this was going to be your type of game more than me. And I, I like uh, Enemy Unknown. Oh, it's quite last, a bit. yeah. You know, and, and tell me a little bit about your experience with it. Like, what, how are you feeling about it? Well, um, so the original release, Enemy Within, I've been talking to my roommate a lot about it because he's played the games multiple times. So when Enemy Unknown came out. It was a little more linear in terms of progression. It was a, you know, your your guy killed two dudes, so now he gets to pick one of two skills, and uh-huh. are you making him the utility one or the damage one? Um, and, you know, the aliens were the only enemy, and, you know, you, you, your options for customization were a bit more limited. So with this one, A, you have the ability to augment your soldiers into mechanical troopers, which are awesome, and that's a, a class unique on its own. Um, it's sort of like a... Set customizations. And then they're also genetic modifications like you can give a guy muscles so he can jump onto the roof of a building from the ground uh you can get like chameleon skin where you know if you were not seen by an enemy at the beginning of a turn and you aren't spotted after you move you stay stealth permanently um so there's a lot of really interesting types of customization there's metals which are you know if your character does some sort of distinguished service like you know if they take out five guys with headshots or if they're really good at fighting in urban situations um, you get medals, which award additional special powers. Like, you know, if you hit this, if you hit an enemy, every ally gets an extra 10 aim on it. Um, so, and then it added an extra resource that you collect during missions that's sort of timed. So it sort of, it forces you to to move quickly and not sort of just camp the base and, you know, wait for aliens to come to you. Uh, it added human enemies, um, like a terrorist cell, basically. Uh-huh. Um so, you know, beyond what it added, considering this is a two- or three-year-old game we're talking about, um, you know, it's just the the type of strategy in that game is the kind that I find very compelling, where you're making macro-level decisions about your base, and, you know, like, how am I going to con- construct my base? 
how am I going to arrange the, the the different facilities? You know, where am I going to send you know jets to protect from UFOs? So you you have that macro level of strategy, but then there's also the you know. I manage my squad and I'm in combat, you know, I have to take cover, I have to, you know, you know, protect my, you know, do whatever objective you have. So it's sort of the two layers of peanut butter uh-huh. together uh-huh. Um, that I find work really well. It's a little, a little derpy in times in terms of like sort of goofy visual bugs, but like I have not experienced anything I would consider a glitch. Uh, you know, again, this is a game that's multiple years old now, so it's been patched. Um, but, you know, and then there's this thing called Second Wave where you can tweak the game. Like, for example, uh, is a mode called Save Scum where it re-rolls all the random dice stuff every time you load your game. So, you know, if you have a character that's guaranteed to get critted on the next shot, uh, that does not happen over and over again. Which I recall was a complaint of yours was that the game has predetermined every outcome at the beginning. Right, uh, and that, that was actually one of the reasons why we didn't cover the original XCOM as an RPG is because, like you said... Not only was the character progression very limited, but it was also the numbers were kind of already worked out at the start of the round. And they took that criticism with Enemy Within and with some of the mods, like I know there's the Long War mod to make the game longer. And one of the things they they also added, yeah, one of the the, one of the modifiers I'm using, because, again, I haven't played before and I'm playing on classic difficulty. Um, There's a mod that makes it so your characters have random stats when you get them. So it's not like. I think it used to be that they were predetermined, but now it's like you can get somebody that has phenomenally high aim, but like terrible will. Um, so I think that adds a little more unpredictability. And I know you hate unpredictability, but I, in this kind of game, really love it. So I like the idea of like, oh, all this soldier's got bad aim. I got to find a good use for him. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and, and these are all modifiers. You can, you know, they're they're check boxes you can tick. So it's it's very cool. Uh-huh. And the unpredictability, I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I, I am a little less. Uh, willing to accept unpredictability. I think sometimes it can be done really well. We talked a lot when you weren't on the show about Darkest Dungeon and how I, I have issues with that game, but I think the unpredictability, for the most part, works in that game's favor to create a lot of tension. Uh, when I played Enemy Unknown, I didn't have a whole lot of problems with it, but I, I did have those odd moments. I, I had those moments where the unpredictability, if it makes sense, it seemed unreasonable. Like, a moment where my sniper was behind cover, and he would blow up the piece of cover that he was standing behind. When it, it, It's a very rigid system in the original XCOM, and it is in the sequel for that matter, where when you attack, that ends your turn. It, it's very rigid in that structure, and so you could have a scenario where your sniper just took a shot, blew up their own piece of cover, and they're screwed. Like, they, they are now out in the open, and... I've never known a sniper to suck so bad that they blew up their own piece of cover. That that seems a little. Well, that's that that, that's like, looking. I mean, yes, that makes sense from a logical standpoint, but from a set of game mechanics, yeah, it works within the game mechanics, and you do get abilities that let you move after shooting. Right, right, right. Uh, now, that unpredictability did not keep me from beating the original uh, XCOM Enemy Unknown. I did beat it. Uh, I think there reached a point probably about the mid game where the game became incredibly easy like my characters were just too strong and i was i was steamrolling everything and it seems like they kind of they've listened to a lot of those criticisms with xcom 2 xcom 2 is weird xcom 2 is a really really hard game to talk about right now because 
if I'm being very honest, and, and I know I have a tendency to use a lot of hyperbole on the show, and I, I get a lot of criticism for that, and I understand, XCOM 2 feels like an early access game right now. Like, if you told me, hey, we're working on this game right now, it's not quite finished, here it is, though, and tell us what you think of it, I would be much more lenient to XCOM 2 right now. XCOM 2 feels half-finished in a lot of ways. It is... And not half-finished from a mechanical standpoint. It sounds like from a polish standpoint, like nothing works. Uh, let me talk about the polish and, and that stuff first, and then, I'll, and then I'll talk about some of the mechanic stuff, which I think is questionable but debatable. Okay, if that makes sense. Like, questionable but debatable. Um, the game runs atrociously. Uh, and, and granted, I have a mid-range PC right now. But the game, there is no reason why this game should be dipping down to 20 frames a second constantly or hitching for 30 seconds when it's doing, I guess, a calculation behind the scene. I'm not really sure. It's not running very well at all. There's been a tremendous amount of glitchiness, a lot of characters, enemies shooting through walls, those moments where you're like, well, my guy can't hit them right now, but this guy seemed to have no problem shooting through three walls and blasting me in the face. That came up a little bit when I played the original Enemy Unknown. It is way more prevalent right now. Like, lots of instances of, okay, why did I just get hit there? Like... I couldn't see that guy, but they could apparently see me through three walls, and I just lost my life. Or the snake-like enemies that are actually really cool in the game attacking me through walls, like, across the map. Uh, moments like that that are just like, uh, this doesn't feel really good right now, guys. Like, I, I was really surprised because when the reviews came out for this game the week before release, it was like everybody was talking about how awesome it was. It was like, oh, this game's so awesome, this game's so awesome. And Giant Bomb and Destructoid kind of held off their reviews a little bit, and it seems like they're having the experience that I am, which is like, this game, I think on the surface, there's a lot of really good things to like, and I think it's going to get there, but it doesn't feel finished right now. I'm still kind of shocked that they were planning on this game coming out in November originally. Like, I I can only imagine what state the game was going to be in in November. And if you look through the Steam forums, this isn't, oh, Rob the Glitch Lich is having his usual problems with the game. This is like Fallout New Vegas levels of WTF is going on with this game. Well, right you know what my thought process is, is I'm going to make fun of a publisher here. It's probably 2K's fault. I think that's fair. 2K is, is, is notorious for this sort of thing. If the game was slated to come out in, what, what November? It was probably a 2K mandated date. The developer probably was like, this game is not done. They said, okay, we'll delay it. And this was probably a, you have to release this because we have quarterly financials to think about. I, I think you're right. I release really first, do. fix later. Yeah, and and that's that plays into why this game is so hard to talk about because they've talked so much about the mod support for this game. Like, this game's going to be incredibly moddable. It's PC only, so they're expecting people to make... It's almost like they're expecting people to make XCOM to a platform. And so as that kind of experience, I can be like, okay, in six months, XCOM 2 might end up being one of the best games I've played this year. Like maybe maybe six months is even hyperbolic. It might, it might be way faster than that. But right now, my experience playing this game has just been like terrible. Like 
not understanding how things are working, uh, major performance issues, glitches left and right, you know, major save problems going on, which were all problems with Enemy Unknown when it came out, but it feels like they got really ahead of those, especially with the Enemy Within uh, expansion. But this just feels... I, I hesitate to say it, but it's it feels borderline inexcusable. Like, how the hell was this game allowed to be released... And not to call out reviewers, because, you know, we've all been there where we're reviewing a game that isn't released yet, you know, and you you kind of take the publisher at their word that there's going to be a patch to fix day one issues. But Capcom. Man, yeah, but man, oh man, like this, whew, this is getting uncomfortable. Like, I do not feel comfortable reviewing this game right now. I don't feel comfortable playing it right now. So I've kind of taken that, like, wait-and-see approach of, like, well, hopefully you guys can work on this a little bit. Like, you know... I, but that's, that's, go that's ahead, the thing that we always, we always run into with, with pre-release stuff, and when we write, like, a preview for a game that isn't out yet, we, you know, we always try to be hopeful and... and, and say you know if we do say well i had really bad frame rate issues in this you know in this build we'd also say but granted this game's not supposed to be out for another year or whatever but yeah you when when you get to i think the problem is exactly what you said that the people were taking them at their word that there was going to be a patch that was going to fix all these issues and then that just didn't happen and it's it's, it's a tough position to uh, to be in I think probably from both sides, from ours and the developers. But absolutely, we're seeing it more and more often now with with all of you know PC obviously yeah. and with consoles being connected. You know, all games now have day one patches that are supposed to fix all mm-hmm. these little things, and they'll fix some of them, but they probably, I mean, there's always something that doesn't get fixed that you know ends up bugging people and whatnot. And I don't know, it's a trend, and it's you know, it's because we can have these systems that are always connected that you can do that and it's become like an expectation almost that you're going to have day one patches and you're going to have glitches that need to be fixed and I, I i do wonder sometimes you know we all love the internet and we love you know how connected we are but if it isn't sometimes exa- uh, not exacerbating but encouraging that kind of development process where mm-hmm. it's like we we can wait until day one and, and patch this stuff and have it running maybe better maybe not just because the the infrastructure's there, right? But and then, I, uh, go ahead, Tuck. Look at like a Diablo three. Uh, I, the, I knew uh, it was coming. The, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of the opposite example of that, though, right? It came out, and although it was, you know, by their standards finished, there were a lot of things that people really did not like about the way that the game worked, and they they put in such huge, huge changes since then that have really turned people's opinions around about the game. Even though it wasn't it wasn't broken, so it wasn't like a, a patching issue. It mm-hmm. it worked as designed. <laughs> we just didn't like the design. Well, and I think you bring up two really good points with Diablo three, and I think they apply to XCOM two, and also with a game that I've been playing a lot of recently, Dying Light, which is the idea of fundamental problems with the game, like glitches and performance issues, versus a game as a service 
that grows as an experience. So when Diablo 3 released, you know, we, we bring it up all the time, and I apologize to the listeners. You know, I, we got the one iTunes review that said that we're the greatest Dark Souls Diablo 3 podcast ever, and I, I chuckled at that. Um, but at, at the risk of talking about it again, when Diablo 3 came out, there were all the Error 37, you know, upheaval, and oh dear God, there were, there were hey, T-shirts. Look, for the 20 minutes, Error 37 was a thing. It was catastrophic. Yes, yeah. for, for the 12 or, hours. In the case of our, our beloved Dave's case, for the one day where Ever 37 was a thing, although I know Dave had other issues, but right with the game. <laughs> but like that's, that's one of those things where like, okay, the game came out, it was online only, it had some problems, but they managed to get in front of it. And then as a service, Diablo 3 has continued to expand into like a juggernaut of a game. Dying Light is a very similar example right now. They just released an enhanced edition of Dying Light. I didn't like Dying Light at all when it first came out. I gave it another shot, and I'm playing it right now. I I am loving this game. Is it a perfect game? No, absolutely not. It's got major issues here and there. But it is fun as hell, and they really, they've created a service, and they've just announced that they're going to support this game for another year with more content. So now XCOM 2 feels like it's in a similar pattern right now where it's like they are planning on maintaining XCOM 2 and supporting it as a platform for potentially a long period of time. My question, however, is looking at some of the things that are in Enemy Within, and this kind of gets us to a gameplay discussion versus a technical issue discussion, looking at the stuff that is in Enemy Within... I almost wish they had just continued to expand Enemy Unknown and Enemy Within instead of releasing a new $60 product, because there is some stuff in Enemy Within that is sort of kind of there in XCOM 2, but it's a little surprising how thin XCOM 2 feels. At, at least at the early stage I'm playing it, it feels... So I will say I've I've read a lot of people who have finished the game, and I have heard that to not be the case. Okay, um, yeah, that's fair. Because Enemy Within waits a little while before it introduces those new mechanics. Um, I've I've actually heard the opposite complaint fairly frequently for people who have actually played through XCOM 2, that the game has a zillion options, and that it can actually be almost overwhelming, which okay, okay. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with the overwhelming thing. I can appreciate that something can be overwhelming, but I, I don't like the idea of being limited, so... But, you know, having that's pure hearsay, so. I think what I'm finding with uh, XCOM 2, to move away from the technical stuff and and talk about the game for a second, that some of the problems that I had with XCOM Enemy Unknown, and this is good that Steven's here because we can kind of talk about whether or not they were addressed with Enemy Within, some of the problems with Enemy Unknown are still there. So, like, the... Yes, you can see now when you move to a space whether or not you'll be able to attack aliens. That is a godsend, because that was almost a deal breaker with Enemy Unknown. It's like, well, I have to move to this location, and then the game will tell me whether or not I can hit the aliens. That's not real fun to play this guessing game. Okay, so they do that in XCOM 2. Great, fantastic. But why don't you tell me if I'm going to gain that ever-important flanking bonus when I move to the new location? Because that's kind of the point of the game, is to flank your enemies and get these major bonuses to hit like outmaneuvering them now i have to guess whether or not when i move to that position i'm going to get the flanking bonus that feels like crap that feels like crap and that feels like one of the things that a mod much the same way i talked about fallout 4 that feels like one of those things that the mod community is going to fix very quickly but my question is why didn't the developers fix that 
It sounds like you want Final Fantasy Tactics ability to cancel your moves. I think, uh, you know what? If, if the game had that, if the game had a little bit of leeway, because what I'm finding is I moved to an area and I'm like, wow, if I had moved one square more, everything would have been better. Like my plus to hit would have gone up. I would have gained a flanking bonus. But because I moved here, I'm now kind of stuck with it. I think you hit the nail on the head, Steven. If this game had the ability to rewind a move or two, I think Invisible Ink does this beautifully see, where they you get a limited number of times you can do that during a mission now see i disagree 100 percent with that i do I not think would, that but... this i do not <laughs> think that xcom is the kind of game that is exactly what i like about the game is that it is not a well you can experiment with every possible move and find the best one it's more like chess you have to commit to your strategy and your move and if it doesn't work you have to react to that but, but now i'm gonna be able to take back an attack would essentially make the game trivial but now like I'll, at that point at that point you may as well just save scum the game because that's what you want to do well, now, and i'm not going to say there's anything wrong with that but my two questions for you are a when you're playing chess is it ever a 20 percent chance that the bishop will fall down and not take a piece and b are you save scumming the game and i'm not saying that in an accusatory way i'm saying are you save scumming your experience with enemy within or are you playing it very permadeath i'm gonna roll with the punches I'm safe scumming it. See, at that point, then it, it's the Fire Emblem point again, where I, I don't understand if you're, if you're going to if you're going to advocate that the game is the, what the way the game is, I'm going to make mistakes, and that's part because of the fun. The game, because the strategy is built around that. Okay. Of, of the, the importance of a single move. Yeah, I'm loading back if I don't get the move right, but I don't want to just be able to rewind because that trivializes it. Uh, I don't... I, I think there's... I think what a, there is a step in between, though, be, it, between being able to actually rewind moves and being able to say, okay, if I if I move to this spot, then you know what will my chance to hit be? I can't guess that ahead of time. Okay, that you know that that's a bad place to move. What if I move to this other place? I do, no, I do think um, uh, Valkyria Chronicles did it well in that you know you had your set movement range and you could hypothetically move there. Yes. Yes. Well, the problem is that's a very video gamey type of thing, mm-hmm. and like I don't necessarily think it's a problem from a gameplay standpoint. Um, see, I'm thinking of it as in terms of an experience versus a mechanics thing. I like the idea of being like I might move somewhere and not be able to get a shot at the enemy. I yeah, but you're also the guy who plays every game on the hardest difficulty, so <laughs> well, not all that maybe speaks to just like the way that you like to play games. I, I see what Steven's saying, but for my money, I, I feel like he's adding a layer to what I want. Like, the layer is that he's just going to save scum the game, he's just going to reload it. I want a mechanic built in, much like the chariot system in Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together. Yes, I, I was just going to bring that mechanic. up. Yeah, I think that's the real... Or, or, or Invisible yeah, but Ink. That's a, but that's a game mechanic. That's not a, you just canceled your move. Right. If it's a, you canceled your attack, I'm not such a fan. But if the game is built in such a way to accommodate that, then I'm okay with that. I, I think we're both in agreement then. Because, like, if Invisible Ink does this so beautifully because you get a limited number of takebacks, where when you use it, like, depending on the difficulty level that you're playing at you get to restart your turn. So if things go really bad, and granted, that's much more a strategy game than an RPG, there's no, 
uh, ambiguity about like, oh, I have a 10% chance to stun this character. No, if you move to this location, you will stun them. It is very much a turn-based strategy game where XCOM has the RPG mechanics of having a plus to hit and things like that. It's one of the things I like about XCOM, but I agree with you. I think that if there's a gameplay mechanic built in, like a middle ground then a lot of my frustration with this game is gone because, man, I was safe scumming XCOM 2 to a ridiculous point on just the handful of missions that I've played already. It's like a... It's almost absurd how much I'm safe scumming. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to play this turn out and I'm going to save here and see what happens. Oh, crap, something went wrong that I wasn't really anticipating. Okay, reload the game. Like, I just wish it was there. But I, I see what you're saying, too. That ambiguity is one of the things that makes the game so fun and so chaotic. I just well, wish I, they I, had something there. To be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with when you move to a location, the game saying, well, if you move here, you'll be able to target these enemies. Right. Like, I like the idea of, like, well, it seems like I'll be able to target them from here, and maybe not. But sometimes, you know, you get gameplay, you get physics out of that, where it's like, well, visually it looks like I don't have line of sight, but then I shoot this guy through a car. Versus sometimes it's like, well, I clearly have line of sight, but there's one rock in the way, along the way, that, you know, is preventing me from getting here. Right, and I'm feeling a lot more of that in XCOM 2, because all the maps are procedurally generated. I'm feeling that so much more. I'm feeling those moments of like, wait, why do I not have line of sight right now? And it's it's like you said, it's like, oh, the rock is in the way or something. And I'm going, uh, all right, I, I guess. The rock is in the way? Like, yeah, like something like it. Mm. Like Dwayne Johnson? Oh, yeah. Dwayne Johnson's just right in my way. Like it again. I really like XCOM Enemy Unknown. Like I had issues with it, but overall, I really enjoyed it. I think XCOM 2 is going to get there. And I, I ask our listeners to, you know, give me some time. Let give me like a little bit more time to see if they come out with a patch for the game, because right now the game would review pretty low on my scale like granted i want to spend a lot more time with it i haven't had nearly enough time to give a an assessment but it it ain't working real well so it's like you know i, I feel like um dan Riker well, on on giant bomb who gave it a three on their five point scale because he's like well the game's kind of busted right now well it's like when i reviewed divinity original sin for console i love that game and i gave it a high score but i took a fair number of points off and i was like the game is at this point, sort of unacceptably, unacceptably glitchy. And then it was funny. Um, I had been messaging. I had been trying to get information from the developer for a while and via Twitter, like asking them questions. And they never replied until I posted my review critiquing how badly the game needed a patch. And, <laughs> and immediately they were like, patches and certification. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm not saying they have to, you know, bend to my every beck and call on Twitter, but it was nice that at least when something important came up, they were like, yeah, no, there's a patch coming. I'm like, okay, good. And then it came out, and it was a giant patch. Yeah. And and my experience with XCOM 2 is different from, like, my review of Lords of the Fallen, which was, Lords of the Fallen was not fun to begin with. Like, and then there <laughs> were problems. So it was like, I don't not only... I don't like this game, and also it has technical issues. I think I like I don't XCOM. like you, and also you're ugly. I, I think I'm going to like XCOM 2, but right now I don't feel like it's in a state to properly assess it. And that that's a real shame. I hope this game can get it together. And I kind of want to leave XCOM 2 just asking a question for you guys. Are we okay with games as a service? Are we okay with, like, the Diablo 3, Dying Light, you know, hey, we're going to support this game for a long period of time and keep you coming back? 
I think I'm okay with it. I, I think I really like it. I mean, obviously, I would like it for my games to come out complete. Yeah. Um, I would be interested. To, I'm interested to hear what Tucker thinks of this, too. And I would be interested to hear what Dave thinks of this, because I don't think Dave would be a fan of this. Um, and not because Dave doesn't care for Diablo 3. That's more of a he doesn't like the, the gameplay. Um, but um, I would like my games to come out complete. But we are in a current period where games as a service is more and more of a thing and like that sounds very cynical and like business like games as a service but like you know one of my favorite things is when Diablo gets a patch and there's a bunch of new items and I get to go play Diablo for another 25 hours and have fun with it again um I bought Diablo like you know I got the expansion for review for the site I bought the original game like what five years before whatever it came out and I'm like that's 60 bucks I spent I have like 500 hours on Diablo over the course of six years or however many years it's been since it came out that's so rare for an old older game where it was like well we released it we released an expansion we're done and -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that method either because a lot of my favorite games are like that but like you know I look at like Pillars of Eternity which is not necessarily games as a service but they've been patching it and adding features and like constantly updating the game, making it better and better and better. Um, you know, the Long Dark is another great example where that's eventually going to be a completed product, and you know, Darkest Dungeon as well. But we are in a scenario where we were. We've I think we've passed through the dark age of EA releases broken game, EA doesn't patch game, EA sells DLC, EA releases sequel. Um, I think, you know, that still happens, but I think we are now at the point where it's getting more common for a developer to release a game that might be a little anemic on content, like Splatoon, but that's a good foundation. And then a lot of times they're supporting it for free because that keeps, they're figuring out that that's how you foment a community around a game, and that's what sells your game, is people talking about it, people, you know, going and making remixes of music from it, people doing fan art. Because if you keep your game relevant to the conversation by constantly adding interesting content to it that is to everyone's benefit because the company makes more money because people buy their game and there's merchandise in their game players benefit benefit because you know your game now has four new maps that it didn't have last month my super smash brothers has almost 60 characters in it you know and i still play that every day almost and that game now is almost two years old or i don't remember when it came out a little less i don't know but so if I were in Japanese, I would be using an expression now to sum up what I'm thinking. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't mind. I, I would prefer if the game came out not broken, and I, you know, I will eventually play XCOM 2, but probably not until they fix the mechanical issues and the glitches. Like, those are a little more unacceptable to me for a released product than, yes. yeah, there's only five maps in our game. I'm like, all right, well, if the game is fun and you're going to be adding to it, then I'm more okay with buying into, you know, we'll call it an ecosystem of content, which I hate. Uh, but, you know, I'm more comfortable buying into something if they're going to keep supporting it. Like Final Fantasy 14, you know, you're paying monthly for that. But that's a game where you're paying monthly and you know every three months you're going to get a bunch of new dungeons and hundreds of hours of new stuff to do. Well, maybe not hundreds, but depends on how much you like grinding. But you're going to get new stuff to do. And I like that idea. I like the idea of the games I like evolving. Okay. Tucker? Yeah, so I, I guess I would say... You, you covered a lot of what I was uh, what I was thinking. I mean, a little bit of the uh, the Dave angle there too. For those who have been listening long enough to remember, Dave uh, talked about the business of games a fair amount. Yeah, I, I like I like the, the the concept of you know the way that Diablo three has evolved and, and things like that. It's a it's a, a middle ground between the pay every month for an MMO 
and the I'm just buying this game and it's done. Yeah. But I I don't want it to be the only thing though. You know. Absolutely. Like I I like the fact that uh, although you know there were things that I didn't love about Paper Jam, uh, which I finished recently. Um, when I bought it, like that was the game. It's that's the whole game, and I have it, and I'm done. But I also like, just like Steven said, being able to go back into Diablo 3 every so often. And, you know, now there's more stuff for me to do that I haven't done before, even though I've already put a few hundred hours into this game. Yeah, and and it's the it's not just the balance updates to Diablo in that case, too. It's like you go in and it's like I'm playing a character I've played three times, but it's a totally different experience now. And that's a lot of fun because that... It's sort of like what they do with Pillars, where they're adding in their expansions and patches, they're adding things that improve the base game again. So there's merit to playing through it again, because now your experience is different. And that's that's such a smart way to manage what's already a good base of like mechanics and gameplay. Okay, Lem, yeah, what do you I think, think? Well, I think this is like when it's done well, this is the 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 positive side of the coin of what we we're talking about earlier about how perpetually connected systems allows for possibly cutting corners and getting a game out on release date, even if it's not super in, in, a, in a good state and super and maybe not even totally finished. Um, the flip side of that is that having that connection allows them to continue supporting games like this and making them better. And I personally, I don't have any problem with that kind of support if it adds content to the game and gives me reasons to come back and keep, you know, cause you know, I, I'll play a game through to completion. And then a lot of times I won't touch it again uh, until I want to play through it from start to finish. But if you give me reasons to come back every, every so often with some, you know, an expansion or DLC or whatnot, new maps, that kind of thing that extends the life of the game and it's and it's value to me. It's not just something that I'm going to play once or twice and it's going to sit on my shelf um, until I get the urge to play it again however many years down the line. And that, I think, is a valuable experience. I just... The, the, the point for me would be making sure that it, that it's running well, that it's not broken, but also that what you get day one when you buy the game is substantial enough to make you feel like I bought a game that will eventually have, you know, DLC additional content, but I didn't just buy a starter pack for yeah. this game that will eventually become what it's supposed to be down the road, which mm -hmm. is unfortunately the way I felt about Destiny when I got it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I gave it such a terrible review. <laughs> Didn't they just announce that the next Destiny will not come out this year, but they will do, like, some kind of major content update? They said they're doing an expansion, which is funny, because they said last year they weren't going to do an expansion. So, I, at this point, I think Bungie is literally deciding what they're going to do with Destiny next month, the month before. <laughs> that, they're like, yeah, uh, people didn't like the, the microtransactions. Uh, no more DLC. Wait, yes, DLC. No, not DLC. I, uh, let's go rebalance everything. Oh, glitch. I, I blame their new CEO, Harvey Dent. <laughs> oh good one I, I feel like destiny is the like bizarro world version of diablo 3 
where like yeah. Diablo three, they really listened to the fans. They brought in a new director. They were like, all right, here we go. Well, they also changed a lot of Destiny staff too. And right, and, and you know now a lot of people that started out at Bungie working on Destiny are no longer there. It's kind of like. Yee. I, I don't know. I, I talked a little bit about Destiny last time. Uh, Steven, I don't think you were here. I, I don't get that game. I, I'm glad some people like it, but my my limited experience with it was a giant bowl of really? Like, well, and- I mean, to be fair, it'd be like playing Diablo 3 in the first year. Destiny has great core mechanics, and last time I played it, not a whole lot to do. I, I will still yes. contend that Diablo 3 was a hell of a lot more fun than, than I had with well, Destiny. Yeah, that's because it was Diablo. Before we continue talking about topic, we should continue talking about the games we've been playing, too. Okay. Yes. What game (laughs) have you been playing, Steven? Oh, so I've been playing Square Enix's not Chrono Trigger sequel. Uh, It's actually developed by Tokyo RPG Factory and published by Square Enix, uh, which is a distinction I think is important to make. Um, Ike Nie to Yuki no Setsuna, which is... I'm going to roughly translate that as Setsuna of the Sacrifice in Snow. Uh, but it's there. It's that really pretty RPG they announced, I think, last E3 or something. I don't remember when. Um, it just came out yesterday or two days ago in Japan um, on PS4 and Vita. And the whole conceit behind this game is that it is sort of a return to the Chrono Trigger style RPGs of, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, while still having like a nice modern look to it. Um, and more importantly to me, having now played Pillars of Eternity and Divinity, uh, shoring up some of the slower parts of those older games. Not that Chrono Trigger is not great, but, you know, it's, it's not made with a blind eye towards advancements made since then. Hmm. Um, and... You know, so far, it's a it's a really distinctive game because my fear whenever you play a game that bases its entire existence on creating a feeling of nostalgia is that this is going to feel like the thing I played before or it's not going to have its own identity. It's going to define itself only in reflection against other media. Um, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing. There have been lots of fun games that are very based on nostalgia. Um but my sort of willingness to play those games is a little lower now. Um, but so far, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, it starts out, you know, you're a mercenary and, you know, you're out rescuing a woman. And then some dude literally shows up out of the mountains and is like, hey, go murder this girl. Uh, and so you go off you go off to find Setsuna, which is this is all in the first 10 minutes of the game. Um, Setsuna, the, the main character, and the story is essentially Final Fantasy X. There are bad monsters that show up every 10 years and, you know, they start wrecking stuff. Uh, and then this this village chooses a, um, a sacrifice to go on a pilgrimage to the end of the world. And then she sacrifices her life and it holds off the monsters for another 10 years. Um, is the monster called Sin? It's like a oh, it's like a number of it's like a force of demons rather than one. Um and, you know, it's it's very FF10 in that regard. Um, but the, the, the premise at the start of the game is that, okay, well, it's been less than 10 years, and now monsters are here again, so we're going to go try to send another sacrifice, even though it hasn't been 10 years. And so your guy shows up, attempts to kill her, and then ends up becoming her guardian. Uh, and that's sort of how the game starts. Um, and so the way it plays is very similar to Chrono Trigger. You know, you, you, you walk around on the world map, you go do what you got to do, you go to a town, you find out where you got to go, you do a dungeon, so on and so forth. Um, 
And, you know, the similarities to Chrono Trigger definitely don't end there. It uses active time battle with three characters. There are no random battles. You just see monsters on the map. Uh, the battle battles are very snappy. Uh, they do not take long, maybe 15 seconds. Uh, there's no load times in between because, you know, you just you get your XP and then you go back to walking around. Um, there are double and triple techs between different characters. Um, the first one you get is X-Strike. Uh, it's called X-Strike. Um, <laughs> so that, you they're know, making no bones about it. Correct. This is and this is a game that wears its inspiration on its sleeve, but so far has also managed to have its own identity in terms of tone. Uh, all of the music is piano solo, which is really interesting. There's no instrument other than piano in the music, which gives it this really interesting sort of chilly vibe, which is great because so far, and I don't know if this stretches to the entire game, but the whole world is covered in snow, so it's very like a cold environment. Um, and in the, I've done a few dungeons, and so far uh, they've done a lot with the, the variety of, yes, we are in a world full of snow, but like I've had like a ruined town that's sort of been, you know, overrun by demons. Um, you know, there's like a, this like icy beach. There's a really foggy area. Um, so they've, they've had a lot of interesting variety within that set of settings. He said too late to back out. Um, the character artwork is phenomenal. Uh, the main character looks like a derp. He, he wears a mask and a helmet, and he looks like he's wearing a pom-pom all the time, but everyone else looks cool. Um, there's a... I, I have not gotten enough of the stones to really comment on it yet, um, and I don't know what they'll call them in English, but they're like stones of law or something, it seems like. Uh, but they're essentially materia. Um, you know, like, you get... The first one you get gives you... Uh, Spin Slash, which Chrono's first attack. Um, and uh, so there's there's that, you know, finding the stones, and some of them give passive abilities, some of them give active abilities. So it differs from Chrono Trigger in that regard because you're not just getting text from leveling up. Uh, so And there seems like there's a lot of, like, flexibility and breadth in the system there. Um, in English, it'll be a lot of fun, I think, for people who like the sort of lore-heavy type stuff, because every weapon has a really lengthy description and a really cool name. Uh, I have not yet found Iron Sword. Um, from like a, I'll, I'll, this might be a little too nerdy, uh, but I'll share it anyway. One one thing I like is that the main character's first sword uh, is the Japanese character for Firefly, and the character for. Um, Oh, I forgot. But whatever, it, it's an expression that means diligence and studying because the snow is lit by the light of a firefly. You're up late in the snow studying. So his sword is like diligence or something. It's really cool. Um, so there's there's a lot of personality in the game that's very clear even from the outset that I think is critical in a game that is trying so hard to ape mechanically Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy, you know, 7-ish. Um, it's gorgeous. You know, it's made in Unity, which originally I was like, oh, good, I can't wait to play another free-to-play mobile game. Um, I said, pretentiously. Um, but there's there's so much detail in the environments. Like, uh, you know, you go into houses and, like, every table has unique stuff set on it. Um, it's sort of like what we all hoped 16-bit RPGs would transition into in 3D and were for a little while. Um but, you know, every house has been unique that I've gone into, you know, like the people have like little maps on their tables and like the, the texturing is really, it actually reminds me of the recently released Final Fantasy IX HD, which I guess I should probably talk about that because that came out. Um, but the FF9 HD remake just has, not remake, but HD version has really awesome textures on the characters now that almost look sort of watercolor that are so detailed. And 
the whole world map and everything in this game, which it has, uh, has that sort of not quite hand painted look, but very detailed and lush look to it. Uh, so uh, I'm liking it a lot so far. Okay. Okay. I really hope we get a date on that soon in America. Yeah, uh, you know, it's. I, I wonder if they have not already been localizing it um, and are going to announce it. I mean, I, they've they've said that it's coming to the U.S. So, uh, or at least I think they have. I don't want to mis misquote anybody. Um, they should let me translate it. Uh, <laughs> but it, uh, you know, I, I I definitely I'm playing it. And I'm like, I think this is. Uh, back when I was playing Xenoblade Chronicles and I was like super duper in love with it and I still am but like you know when you're in the midst of a game and you can't talk about anything else um, I was tweeting about how that game does not delve quite as much into the pandery stupid almost said a bad word the pandery type of stuff that a lot of anime JRPGs do nowadays where it's like look cute panty shots wah moe oh. it's not like I like you baka uh, type of things um, oh, are we talking about games that have the needless let's go to the beach and hang out for a little bit so we get all the female characters in bikinis look I'm not one. I'm not diametrically opposed to that but you know don't just be like yeah they're all in bikinis and it's not funny like Persona had a beach scene and that was funny both of them yeah, had beach it can scenes be, everything can be done well yeah, but yes, I'm talking about pandery type games that I know there's a big audience for, and forgive me, listener, if you like them, but I don't. Um, this is this is very much a sort of response to that of like, no, we want, for lack of a better term, we want classy games that feel like Chrono Trigger, not games that feel like, uh, I don't know, any of the million pervy JRPGs that gets released. Um, Criminal Girls. Criminal Girls, yeah, we want we want that. And so I was playing this, and I was like, all right. First of all, if you like Chrono Trigger, I can see a planet in which you definitely shouldn't miss this. I think you'd like it, Rob. Doesn't waste your time. Um, it plays really smoothly. There's not a lot of cruft to it. Um, Is there any flanking bonuses? Because that's what that's what I'm worried about in my games right now. The game actually, all about the flanking bonus. The game actually specifically tells you because you know how in Chrono Trigger, you know, you run into an enemy and then everyone jumps into combat. The game specifically tells you that there is no bonus for running into an enemy from behind. Wow! You, all, you always hop right into combat, and it goes turn-based. If well, there is a bonus. It's you start with your ATB gauge and your SP gauge full. Um, because you have a oh well, so there's a timing. I, I didn't mention this, but there's a button-based timing thing too for special. You have a meter uh, that's called I think it's called the Setsuna gauge, different from the character Setsuna, um, and every character has their element. And when you fill the gauge up, if you attack and tap the square button in time with the attack, uh, you can get extra effects. Like, it'll make the area of effect on an area effect skill bigger. It'll make a, 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 a single target damage attack do more damage. It can leave a singularity, which has, you know, you know, for 30 seconds you build SP faster, those sorts of things. Um, and you choose when to do it. Um, so that's, that's sort of where the wrinkle comes into it from there. But it's very much a traditional type of Bravely Default-esque game. Um, in terms of, you know, it's not trying to reinvent turn-based battling, it's trying to refine it. Uh, and so I, I definitely think if you are the type of person to whom this be, is being marketed, you will probably find some merit in it. And I can talk more about it once I have more than four hours on it. Uh, and I think I might stream it later, too. Alright. I'm excited for it. I like that snowy look of it. I remember when they first started showing us, like, 
art and screenshots for it. I was like, ooh, that looks really cool. And you're playing it on PlayStation 4, I want to say, or are you playing it on Vita? I'm playing on Vita. Well, right now I'm playing on Vita because I'm remote playing. Uh, uh, I live in Japan, so the Vita version was sold out, and the PS4 version had plenty of copies, um, which is just such an... It's still really interesting to me how different the Vita's fortunes are here. Um, and... Uh, the remote play works great, though, you know, because, I mean, I was thinking about the Vita version, but then it's like, why don't I just get the PS4 version? It loads faster, and then if I want to play in bed, I'll just remote play. Uh, so that's a good option, yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know what it'll be when it's released in the U.S., but here it was about $40. Um, so it's not being sold as a $60 game, um, presumably because it didn't cost what Final Fantasy thirteen cost to make. Which was way too much money. I don't know. <laughs> I think they made money on that trilogy overall. Not to go back to XCOM right. too fast, but there were a lot of rumors that there was going to be a Vita version of Enemy Unknown that just never materialized. I think there was like an actual like patent for it. Never happened. You want to talk about that? That would work. If the um, game ran. The game runs poorly well, on consoles. Well, true. But like uh, uh, that's one of those like I love. I'm just loving my Vita just as a system. It is enjoyable to play games on. I, I would yes. prefer playing games more games on it. Yeah, no, uh, 2K actually was pretty interesting. And they, they, like, remember when they were also doing, like, Bioshock? Like, they were, like, Bioshock Tactics on Vita or whatever. Do like, not you know, they... break my heart about that. When Ken Levine finally said what that game was going to be, a Final Fantasy Tactics in the Bioshock Infinite World, like... We all cried a little bit. That That's yes. not fair. That's not that's fair. Not fair. Like, it's, it's, that's interesting to me because, like, 2K, like, I think more than anyone else, like, Borderlands came out on Vita, like... Yep. They were one of the few big publishers that was like, yeah, we're going to actually make Vita games. And then Sony decided that they didn't want to make Vita games, so nobody made Vita games. Well, sort of. There are a ton of Vita games, but... Sorry, no, I, I use... I'm in the middle of sneezing right now, so somebody has to take over for a second. <laughs> I, I use my Vita all the time, and like like Rob says, like you guys are both saying, it's pretty much just as a remote play machine. Um because that way we can be watching something on TV or whatever, and I'm still grinding away at whatever game I happen to be playing on the PS4 at the moment. Yeah, and I... what I like about it, too, is that, you know, for the first time, uh, my roommate's been playing XCOM as well on PS3, and, you know, this is the first time where I'm like, damn, I want to use the TV, but he's using it. I'm like, oh, I'll just remote play it. And then, like, I'm like, oh, remote play is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I don't use it as much because... You know, one of the perks of living by yourself. Um, but I do use it a lot. It's basically when I was when it, before I had portable systems and I would go down like to visit my my dad or whatnot. I used to bring a console with me so I could play games. And thanks to PSP and especially Vita, I I don't feel like that. I don't feel like oh I have to bring my PS3 or my PS4 to get my gaming experience because I can do that on my Vita and I can do it in a really enjoyable way. And it's just great to be able to have those games on the go. So I use it more just as like, it's basically my portable JRPG machine now. Yeah, well, you know, it's got Cold Steel, which we, we, we all need to beat and talk about. Did you beat it? 
no, I'm I'm midway through chapter four, so oh, I'm not even close to beating it, and I'm sure Rob isn't either. Yeah, so. I, I I got massively distracted by Dying Light. I apologize to everyone. I like it a lot. It is Derek was right. It's a little slow to start, um, but I am liking it. I just I think what got me was one of the first quests was like find this book that this girl lost, and I was like pixel hunting for it. Could not well, find it. Not, not if you listen to her. It's, it's it's not a pixel hunt. She tells you exactly where she left I was it. Looking right yes. at the couch. I swear to God, I looked there. It did not see it. <laughs> well, it's all over the place. It's like when Jackie tells me to find something in the basement, and I'm like, "Where is it? What what's going on?" Like that, okay, that was one to of. To be fair, that's our personality flaw, not the game's. Yes. No, it's my own fault. It's my own fault. But it was one of those moments of like, "All right." Uh, one thing about Cold Steel. I'm glad you brought it up. Are the boss fights supposed to be super long? Because I feel like the boss fights are like, I'm just whacking the hell out of this thing, and the I just want it to die. are pretty lengthy, um, but as you get more abilities and okay. more things, um, I mean, they still they take a little longer than your regular fights, which I think is important. But uh, yeah, They have a lot more health. Yeah, they definitely have a lot more health. So early, it's like any game where early on you don't have as many options, so your, your, your recourse is hit the guy. Okay, I think that's what I, I'm and- struggling with a little bit. Also, depending on where you are, you may not have a lot of people with access to their S-Crafts yet. And you also unlock more uses for your link uh, link ups. Like you, you don't get the the rush um, option for links. I think until chapter three or okay. chapter two. It's okay. one. It's one of those. So you know, you, you it gets more complex the more you go, and that adds to your combat options. That, that's um, not me. That's not me. But bosses, I'm, not it. I, I'm I'm digging it. Bosses are also noticeably more difficult than other encounters, and the, um, towards the end of the game, they get increasingly uh, punishing in a good way, like in a challenging way. So, right. I think what I was finding was like the the main the actual regular battles were taking a little bit longer than I was expecting, and then I got to like the first real you know the real boss after you do the like prologue dungeon. I got to the first real boss, and I'm sitting there going. This guy's just taking a lot of hits, and like, you know, okay, I'm healing every two rounds, and I'm doing my buffs. I like, I like the fact that you see a significant increase to your stats when you do a buff. Oh, yeah, buffs are like actually useful. Yeah, I really like that. That's one thing Darkest Dungeon does. Overpowered. Yeah, but like, I I just felt like it was taking too long. I'm like, am I doing this right? I see the exact same thing when I started playing. Like, I was literally texting uh, Caitlin and Mike when I was coming back to Japan. I was like. I was like, oh my god, why does Falcom just have this freaking obsession with their random battles taking 600 years? But it very quickly, uh, with their battles taking 600 years, and it very quickly becomes much faster paced. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's also supposed to be, it's it, it's still going to be a slower paced battle system than what you might be used to in other games. It's supposed to be like that. It's just, it has been streamlined and sped up a little bit from previous Trails games. Well, once di- once I get bored of Dying Light, I will I will definitely play it some more. Because I, I I'm liking what I played of it. I like the characters. I like all the... Although there are weird moments where, like, the main character is not voiced, but the other characters in the scene are. And I'm like, uh, yes, that's, that's weird. Actually, yes. That's actually a contention. They Exceed actually tried to fix that. And uh, Falcom... It's, it's hard-coded into the game, so Falcom couldn't fix it. Yes. Um, from what I'm, what I I think I recall reading the second one, they actually got in early enough that they can they are fixing that. It's weird. Um, it's re- That's it's what strange. I've heard too. like it's just very like this is what I think of that. Okay, what else do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I love the sound effect JRPGs make when text is going. That sound that <laughs> is not what it sounds like. Uh, not in Trails of Cold Steel, but in some games. Wait, wait. Do we want to do the Okami? <laughs> no, I want to do the King of All Cosmos. <laughs> that's just your natural singing voice, Stephen. No, that's my natural talking voice. Um, I didn't bring this up before the show, but. Considering Final Fantasy IX came out again, <laughs> I think I'm going to require us to talk about it right now. You know that game. Well, you just brought it up a little bit. Fair enough. I don't like. I don't like Vivi. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, off the show. <laughs> you can't kick me off my own show. <laughs> Actually, no, well, she no way. No, she can't. I can't. I could before because I started the call originally, but <laughs> damn it, uh, damn it. You can't uh, fire me. I'm the fire. Steven, tell me about Final Fantasy IX on mobile. Uh, how good is it? I mean, well, so it's out in English as well. Uh, you know, they announced, what, like in the beginning of January that FF9 was coming to Steam, finally uh, coming out on mobile. You know, so it was getting the 7 and 8 treatment. Um, unlike 7 and 8, 9 had no extant PC port from the 90s that was terrible uh, to base it off of. So, you know, they, um, it's, I can't remember what the name of the studio is, uh, but they pop up in the credits, but they had an uh, external studio port it, uh, I think from Thailand or something. Studio Thailand. Can't remember, but, um, <laughs> Street Fighter, nice. Um, <laughs> thank you. But it, uh, so they, like, they were like, yeah, it's coming out early 2016. And then, like, they were like, also, it's out tomorrow on mobile. Uh, and then it came out on mobile. It's not out on Steam yet. And so I bought the Japanese version and pleasantly found out that it actually offers every language version. So I can play English if it so strikes me. But I'm currently enjoying feeling like I have a superpower playing it in Japanese. Um, it's a great, great port. Um, so the backgrounds, um, they up all the 3D stuff and retextured it. So, like, the world map looks nice. Um, battles look great. They run at a great frame rate. Uh, the character models look phenomenal. Um, yeah, you know, they they're, do. Yeah. They're, they're roughly the same number of polygons, but those polygons aren't warping all over the place like old PS1 games did. Um, the texturing on them is incredible. Like, you, the faces are still clear, and, like, you look at Steiner's belts, and they all have, like, actual leather textures and buckles on them. Vivi's hat, you can see every little stitch in it, but it's also sort of watercolory, so it's, like, almost a Legend of Mana-style, like fairy tale-esque thing. It looks gorgeous. Um, the HD font is awesome. Um, I looked at the English one briefly, but then switched to Japanese, which is... Uh, I tried to play FF9, uh, the Japanese version, uh, the original PS1 release, um, a while back, and the resolution made it really hard for a newbie like me to read all of the kanji, because um, they just look like blocks. Um, so the font is great looking. Um, the, they added the, you know, the spate of features they add. You know, they added the monster, the character booster where you can cap... They added, you know, all of like the cheat mode stuff, like max HP and trance. Uh, they also, uh, I can't comment yet because I haven't gotten too deep into the game, um, but it seems like they have fixed the lag between like input and command uh -huh. that happens. Um, obviously, the queue is still there, but uh, you know, it's it's much more rare for you to like select attack and have to wait thirty seconds for your character to attack. Um, there's the turbo button, which FF7 and 8 had. Uh, that works great for grinding, uh, particularly because they also added an auto battle option. So if you're grinding for AP, you know, I was like on the train and I was talking to someone. So I was just running in a circle with turbo on auto battling and learning all my abilities. Um, or, you know, you can just use the character booster that teaches you every ability. And if you if you want to cheat, that's, um, that's all I'm going to do it. 
and but you know that that option is there to make the game you know more playable because it's older. Um, the the touch controls work great. Uh, the the menu interface and everything. Um, you know they completely rebuilt the menu interface. Uh, it's not. I I don't know if FF Seven did this in mobile. I think I thought it had digital buttons or like virtual buttons, but this one has straight up. You know like the battle command menu has become a tap tappable menu. Uh, you know. All of your options and stuff are specific buttons on the screen, um, you know. So it just it it feels really good. Like you know the the control control wise, you can either move with the virtual analog stick or you can just tap on the screen. And they've added a system where he'll actually run to wherever you tap. Um, so you know that's all specific to the mobile version. But yeah, I mean it's a great port. You know they everything looks good. Um, this was not half done you know it's still the original game so you know it's not going to light the visual world flame for my favorite metaphor but uh um it's my favorite final fantasy and it looks better than it ever has and it's easier to play than it has ever been um you know playing it in japanese is fun because i'm comparing how they translated stuff uh you know like there's a term in japanese olsan which is kind of like Hey, old guy or whatever. Old but, man. Um, and that's actually, it's that's what they call Steiner. They call him Osan. And so, like, old man. So it's really interesting how in English uh, they translated that to Rusty because that's such rusty, a... Rusty, yeah. That's such a, in my opinion, that's such a good translation because it captures the same sort of tone but sounds way more, like, English Zidane-y. Um, it makes sense because he's wearing armors and he's kind of crusty and yeah, stubborn. The connotation of the Japanese original is that it's like, you know, like, hey, washed up old dude. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, you know, if you like FF9 or if you like FF9 and wish it was faster, uh, those are all things here. I'm definitely going to pick up the Steam version because it's my favorite Final Fantasy and double dipping is the thing I'm okay with doing on that. Um, you know, it has, cl- <clears throat> excuse me, it has cloud saving. Um that actually seems like it's cross-platform cloud saving, which is amazing. So if Whoa. the possibility of me playing on my yeah. phone and then jumping on Steam is there, I, I can't confirm that. But I'm I, the based on what I read, it seemed like that was going to be the case. There's like eight thousand save slots, so you know if you want nine thousand save games, you have that. Also, they added a cutscene skip, which makes getting Ragnarok two possible without cheating. Um, you know, if, whenever there's a cinematic sequence, you can just hit start or in the digit in the Hannah held one, it's, you know, you tap the screen, uh, but you can skip cutscenes and everything. So it's really a a very thoughtful port tailored specifically to that game. And, you know, it's it's Final Fantasy IX. It has one of the best intros in the PlayStation series. Uh-huh. You know, it's If you like FF9, you should be getting it. And you should also be getting it because I like FF9. I want more FF9 related things. So you better... <laughs> well, if I could... If, if I could make a small request, of course, I'm sure there are many people that work at Square Enix that are listening to this right now. Can For the, for the love of God, can we get these new versions of Final Fantasy VII and VIII on the Vita? Because, my God, I would buy that in such a heart. If you can get it working on a mobile phone, for God's sake, like, how awesome would that be to have all those speed-up options and the ability to turn off random encounters... Not this random encounter. How awesome would it be to, to turn... Oh, you have that on Vita. Can never turn off this I, random encounter. But I thought that the Vita version was the PlayStation 1 version. 
Well, it is. I meant you can turn off this random encounter on Vita because oh, you can okay. listen immediately. Oh, that's that's sad. Uh, but but you get what I mean. Like there's so many different. I, I love reading articles and stuff. It's like which is the best version of Final Fantasy VI to play, and apparently it's the one that's on Game Boy Advance that's really hard to get a hold of now. It's like they've they've remade these games so many different times and on so many different platforms. I think we talked about this before on the show. It, it's hard to find the one that you want, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I would, I mean, you know, I would like to be able to play those. I probably wouldn't play them, but I'd like the having the option. Yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, honestly, with the PlayStation 1 version already on the Vita, I guess it, there's no incentive for them to do it, but, man, well, that would be cool. sales, I guess. Well, yeah, they could stand to make money. Cause it, would, it would just be so cool. They like money. Yes. They like money? Really? Are we sure? In theory, in theory, they like money. Are we sure? But they 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 still haven't announced 12 HD, which would make them a lot of money because I would buy it twice. <laughs> Not gonna happen, Caitlin. It is so gonna happen. I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised it hasn't happened. I'm I'm honestly surprised it hasn't happened. Well, they already announced FF9 stuff this year, and 12 and 9 are the ones they forget exist most often. So, what's uh, the 9 stuff this year besides the the mobile version? Just this. But that's more than they've announced for nine in like the oh. last like 10 years. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay. Like, Zidane is not in Final Fantasy Explorers. There's three characters from Final yeah. Fantasy VII, two from What's up 10, with that? and none from Nine. That's like the only mainline Final Fantasy that they have you that is not in Explorers, Vaughn. right? You can turn into Vaughn and not Zidane. And he's not even the main character. No. He's Vosh von Rotzenberg of Dalmasca. The game that lets you use your limit break and transform into an omni-slashing cloud. I don't understand why I can't transform into a bushy-tailed rat monster man. Don't listen to Andor's lies. <laughs> All right, what else do we have to talk about, or is it time to shift over to news? Um, I, think I haven't talked about Digimon yet. Digimon, digital monsters, Digimon. Is this the... Oh, oh my God! I have forgotten that song. Yep, there it is. There How it is. Did you later. forget that? Oh, that song is amazing. Um, yeah. is this... I didn't. I didn't really watch Digimon. So, is this the game Tucker that we, we talked about on our editors' boards a little bit? That was just boobs. The video game. All right, that is oh. a gross <laughs> over exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So. It is that that is a thing that we did talk about about uh, the uh, character design of a couple of the characters. But okay, okay. That's definitely not uh, the majority of the game. Uh, character designer is Devil Survivor. Okay, I, yeah. I just I just saw a lot of cleavage and I was like, this is Digimon. Like, there's a yeah. lot of cleavage. Yeah. So <laughs> this would be like if Misty came out with double D's at some point. Like I would be from Pokemon. I would be like, uh, Misty, like. That didn't actually happen, yeah. did it? Like, I would be really sad right now if I mentioned something that has actually happened. Let's let's hope not. Okay. James I, do did. any characters have boobs in Pokemon? Really? I don't. I don't remember Jeff, a lot of characters. Jigglypuff. Have boobs. <laughs> Jigglypuff had boobs. Jigglypuff is a boob. <laughs> I think Jigglypuff is. A... All right, move... sorry, Tucker. Uh... One boob. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're gonna have at least one, I guess. I mean, it's a boob that sleeps. She. Is a boob that sleeps. Moving Sorry. On. And, and <laughs> yes, please. With respect to the guy who killed me off the side of the stage in Smash before I could counter him, Jigglypuff is far more than just one boob. <laughs> I don't even know. Where I, ladies and gentlemen, I am sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. They should you be thanking us. Yourself. 
Yeah. So, uh, so Digimon, Digimon <laughs> Cyber Sleuth. Uh, apparently, it's it's the uh, the fifth game, I guess, in a series uh, Digimon story. I, I think it's the first one to come over here to the states. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, I, I think that definitely because of the fact that it was a cartoon and things like that. I certainly think of Digimon as a, a kids thing, but it, it does end up having. I'm, I'm not. I don't want to call it mature themes, just like the cartoon did. You know, the, the, the cartoon often the arc of the season was, "Hey, there's this guy who wants to destroy both the human world and the Digimon world," and uh, the kids end up back with their parents at some point and. The parents have to watch their kids go off to uh, save the world or die, and so uh, this story, this the game has you know a similar uh, tone to the story uh, when all is said and done, and and yeah, there 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 are a couple character designs that are a little odd to me. Uh, the girls, um, you you play as a as a detective, you you can be either a boy or a girl, and their designs are both okay. Um, but either way, you uh, after the game starts up, uh, you work at a detective agency for a lady who her outfit consists of like short shorts and uh, a white like uh, business like men's button down business shirt, except. Uh, in her case, the button down is like, you know, the second one from the bottom. Uh, <laughs> the rest of her buttons are all open. That's just the way she is. And and I was like, I'm not, this is really weird. But at the same time, like, the game makes it clear over and over again that, like, she's really good at her job. She's respected as a detective. Um, you know, the, the cops consult with her on cybercrime cases. Uh the time even before the start of the game and so it, it left me very conflicted about uh the character designs because personality wise you have her and then another girl in the game who uh are both you know end up being really you know strong respectable characters from a personality perspective but the visuals don't really seem to match up they're the drawn way. for the male gaze i guess yes. so um, but that's, I mean, I think we're we're maybe you know putting more on that. Yeah, that, that than really there is in the game. That's uh, mostly it's about solving cases, running around, uh, digivolving your your team into the most you know super powered Digimon in the universe, and uh, trying to fill up the uh, your your Digimon equivalent of the Pokedex. And it's it's uh, it's made by the developers of the Wild Arms series, uh, Media Vision. Because um, I played the Japanese version and talked about it on the show a couple of months ago, um, and you know it was it was it I having watched the show a lot and I'm a big fan of the show, um, or at least the first three seasons of it. Um, it is it, it's a different kind of experience because it's 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 like the show in terms of how it is thematically a little deeper than it seems at first appearance versus Pokemon, which you know not to make fun of Pokemon, but the TV show at first was go get Pokemons. Um, but is it as deep as Yu-Gi-Oh? Listen, 
don't activate my trap card, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and tease Yu-Gi-Oh because Yu-Gi-Oh abridged is one of the funniest things I've ever seen on the internet. Yeah, but, uh, but Yu-Gi-Oh always felt like they were just making up rules, and that that really started to annoy me when I was watching that as a kid. Well, that was what they were doing. It was like, oh, yeah. oh, no point to lose except for there's a rule I didn't mention. Nah. <laughs> um. But yeah, so you, I. Th- I'm interested what you think of like the combat and the progression in the game took her because what I found really interesting is that it's not just like a my vision of the old Digimon games was like here's a half-assed monster rancher which was a half-assed Pokemon um, <laughs> this one is very much you know we live in a post Persona 3 and 4 world so this one is very much in a like you're exploring a seemingly authentic part of Japan Nakano Broadway is a real place you know <laughs> I've been there um you know, and like it, in terms of the visuals of like the areas in the game, they're very like, you know, it. this is what it's like to walk around in some parts of Japan. Obviously, there's no digital world and the game takes a few liberties. But, you know, the, the, <laughs> the general aesthetic is very authentic. And so the, the detective thing, um, I was actually surprised by like the amount of detectiving you do. You know, it, it turns into, hey, something weird is happening. We better go find out that there's some Digimon screwing things up. Um, yeah. So in that regard, I think structurally it's a little predictable, but I also think combat-wise and like as an RPG, it's very fun and very quick. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of ways that it uh, that it did kind of surprise me the uh, the combat aspect of it. You know, you have sort of a two-tiered rock paper scissors, um, you know, elemental advantage uh, that you know keeps you thinking like, all right, I got to have a, a balanced team in a couple of different ways. Uh, plus, I always want to have some people uh, in there who are basically just there to gain levels so that I can digivolve them into somebody cooler. Um, and, and yeah, they're, one of the things that you can do is you have a, a farm where Digimon who aren't on your active team can hang out. And they gain some experience while they're there. And you can have them uh, you can have them investigate, search for cases mm. and. They'll they'll come back. Every, it takes about an hour real time. Sorry, when I say that, I mean like an hour playing the game for them to finish uh, investigating for cases. And they'll come back and say, "Hey, there's this uh, bad hacker who is he's got some Digimon and he's treating them like jerks. And <laughs> you should you should go like tell him not to do that anymore." And Which you go out invariably. Yeah. So you, you go out and you find that guy and they all have different like dialogue. It's not just the same canned response every time. Uh, the game said when you did the very first one, there's 30 of these guys. And I'm curious to see, but I probably won't find out if that actually is the number of them that you can go up against. There's also they also will find cases like uh, this. You get a lot of these with the investigating from the farm. Uh, hey, I lost this. I lost my special item. And you go to a certain area and there's a Digimon waiting there who says, hey, can you help me find my special item? I dropped it somewhere on this floor. <laughs> Those missions, yeah. And sometimes you have to wander like all through a giant, you know, level. Other times uh, it's like 10 feet away. And then he's just dumb. Yes. Uh, but the, but in then you have like the real quests that like the story kind of missions and the missions that pop up you know, as the game progresses, um, that are, I think, 
you know, they'll, they'll ask you, we talked about this, I streamed this uh, last week, so if you're, if you're listening to this podcast within two weeks of Valentine's Day, uh, that stream will still be up on our Twitch cha- channel. Um, but there are also cases uh, where they'll give you like a keyword that you're supposed to go around and ask people about. And we talked about on the stream, maybe that system is not as deep as it maybe could have been, but you do have to like kind of go around and ask people, find the right person to ask about this thing that you're trying to find out about. Like a, a case that we took on uh, when I was on the stream was uh, there's a, a hacker who got a bunch of police and, you know, investigation information, so things about cases that the cops were, were looking into and he's threatening to release it to the public. And the fact that they got hacked would be embarrassing to them, uh, not necessarily the details of the cases. So you're trying to help figure out, you know, who this guy is. Um, and of course you could ask like everybody in the game world, uh, but it gives you an indication with this keyword of like who you really should ask. Mm. And the resolution of that case did not turn out to be what, what I expected it to be both in terms of who the, the culprit was and also the fact that you're not actually the one to resolve the case. You find a clue along the way and you talk to this cop buddy of yours and he's the one who solves the case takes all the credit i'm sure <laughs> well he's a he's a good guy but you're trying to you're kind of trying to uh, solve the case uh sneakily because he's uh you know you you have that stereotypical uh, oh well it, it will hurt my honor if you uh if someone other than a police person resolves this case you better get over it yeah one of the things i found really compelling about that game was its Mega Man battle network influence in that like your character has the ability to basically go into the digital world so a lot of the story missions turn into like you know you you're like you'll know, enter a hospital and you got to get into a room so you enter like the hospital's network and then you know you like you go through like a digital area and then you come out in another device and like so like Mega Man Battle Network, which you know Mega Man Battle Network, you didn't go into the network. Mega Man did, and you were land in the in the game world. But that creates, for at least what I thought was a lot of interesting like scenarios for getting around. Um, mm-hmm. I would say the only part of the game I found super tedious was the um, the 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 dungeon you return to multiple times. Yeah. Um, the Kowloon. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. you know it's a little. I think it shows its budget a little bit in that area. Yeah, there is a, a there are a lot of quests that take uh, that take place in the uh, in the four levels that I've got access to of Kowloon so far. I'm I'm in chapter fifteen of twenty, and it looks like there'll be at least one more level. But boy, I've been to back to Kowloon level two and four uh, a lot of times. So, but. You know, still, like you said, the, the battles are, are kind of quick and fun, and uh, there is a little bit of sadistic uh, pleasure to be had in uh, going back to some dungeon where everybody is the little tiny baby Digimon, and you're, you know, walk, walking around with a werewolf with a jetpack. <laughs> Everyone goes down in one punch. It's, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong to uh, to find that amusing. But. It's 
Sounds um, amusing to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, there's also, I, I think there's been a few times uh, later in the game also when you'll have like a buddy join you and they'll have a Digimon who will be in the fight who can't necessarily get knocked out no matter what happens. Um, but they aren't uh, necessarily, you know, destroying the bad guys who you're fighting against. They're really there more for story reasons uh, in the battle. Um, and that's a, you know, it's a mechanic that I think they make work well because those guys tend to kind of be supporting you more, buffing you and things like that. Uh, and, and you're really the one who's there to, to deal all the damage. And then it works from a story perspective to, you know, to have them in that role. I've, I've really liked it. It's going to get a good review from me when I do finish it up uh, here pretty soon, unless, you know, something terrible happens at the end of the game and it all gets broken. Like the ending turns of Final Fantasy. Turns, turns out the Reapers, the only way they can be beaten is with three different colors. Oh, I was going to say it was the ending of Final Fantasy Nine when the crystal shows up for no good reason. Even though they've hinted at it earlier in the game, then the yeah. ending is amazing. Not really. No. 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 Uh, and it took her... This is often my question with games that I'm not very familiar with. Um, since I've, for someone like me who's, I mean, I've watched a few episodes of Digimon, but I'm not super familiar with the series. Uh, is this a good entry point? Would I be kind of confused about what the heck is going on? Do they introduce all the concepts well enough that you can get into it? It, yeah, it I think is its own just thing. Fine. Yeah. The, the thing that I get out of uh, having watched the cartoon is like, oh, sweet, it's Agumon. I know that guy. Yeah, it's and like <laughs> they like none of the Digimon are their personalities from the show. So, okay. You know, it's they are they are essentially Pokemon, uh, or if you prefer, demons from Shin Megami Tensei. Uh, but no, it is it's its own standalone experience. Um, it's not. It is essentially just here are the concepts from the TV show, and not even wholesale because the yeah the way the digital world works is different in this game than it was in the TV show. So it's sort of they have recurring themes like your Final Fantasies uh, mm -hmm. that are just juxtaposed into a new story. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah, you'd be uh, you'd, you'd have a good time. Awesome. It's a fun turn-based JRPG that's not half-assed. Yeah. The one thing that's funny to me, you were talking earlier, Rob, about uh, I don't even remember which game it was now about an auto battle system. There is an auto battle system in this, um, and even if the people that you're up against are the wimpiest of wimps, if you turn on auto battle, your team will throw the strongest <laughs> attacks they have at you. Just nonstop. Here is the biggest thing I can do. Listen, hand uh, of fate has to be used to kill Koromon, okay? Yes, yes. Uh, but the good thing is, every time you... And here's another thing that's kind of fun about it. You know that, that, that they talk about the ding of leveling up, right? Because you're you're constant. Every time you uh, digivolve somebody, you can digivolve them to someone stronger or actually to someone weaker. If you want to go back down the chain to help uh, raise some of your stats more, um, you, every time you do that, you get set back to level one. And so, uh, with you know, as long as you have you know a few people in your party who aren't like level sixty, because they're the highest you know evolution there is, you're constantly leveling up. 
uh, mm. somebody in your party. Like every battle, somebody's leveling up. Yeah, the the progression and the evolution system is very in depth. Like I like the idea. It's like, well, I could go back and level up and gain higher stats, so then I could branch down a different evolutionary path. It's not like Pokemon where you evolve and you have evolved. That's it. Done. At least yeah. I, you know, in red and blue. <laughs> it's been, I right. can't comment on the later ones. No, it's the it's the same way, but in later ones, except for the mega evolutions, which is only for the duration of the battle anyway. But every time you level up, your HP and uh, SP, mana, whatever, uh, are refilled. So you don't necessarily have to worry about, oh, I, I can't use my strong attacks because I'm going to need that SP later on. No, I'm going to level up probably at the end of the next battle. So, uh, you know, go right ahead. Use those strong attacks. Decimate the enemy. Indeed. Here's the lamentations of the one. Yeah. It took her an hour our age. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, back in my day, I played Chrono Trigger, not this fancy spancy <laughs> snow game. If, <laughs> I, I have to ask because uh, when the last episode came out and you guys talked about uh, Paper Jam, I was playing it and I didn't want to get sort of influenced. Is, is there like a a very short version of were people fond of it or not? Um, I have not played as long as you have. I have about 10 hours on it. Um, I really like it a lot. I skipped Dream Team. Um, I heard it was a little too text heavy. Uh, um, so far, I'm having a blast with Paper Jam. Obviously, the story is dumb and the toad gathering is obnoxious. Um, but I find the dungeons to be a lot of fun and the combat to be very fun. What's interesting to me, and I don't know if we talked about this in any real detail, it is a lot harder, uh, the boss battles, than I ever recall the series being. Hmm. Um, they're like, you know, when you fight, uh, the first time you fight uh, Bowser's kids, uh, you fight uh, Wendy and I think Roy. Uh, uh, and like they, like I died in that fight like four times and I had not died yet. Well, no, I died one other time in the game, but I was like, it is legitimately difficult to block these attacks. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I like a lot how Paper Mario's mechanics work differently from Mario and Luigi, uh, even though the game screws you in not letting you get Paper Luigi. Um, yeah. I could we see think it's no respect in that game at uh, all. That actually, uh, okay, so that's what I want to talk about, if, if, if you'll humor me here. Mm-hmm. That my biggest problem with Nintendo's characterization of Luigi is that in every game, Luigi is displayed as being just as competent as Mario. He's on every adventure with Mario. He hits just as hard as Mario. He has his own game where he rescues Mario multiple times. And yet, they're all, like, in especially in Paper Jam, they're not just like, oh, Luigi's scared. They're, like, outright mean to him. They're like, oh, yeah. oh God, Luigi's here. Well, we better get Mario or he'll screw something else up. And it's like, asshole, do you remember when I gave Mario a 1-Up Mushroom and saved his life? Do you remember when I was in the cave alone and jumped on all the Koopalings? Like, it really, it, like, this seems like a very silly thing to get up in arms about. But I cannot stand how Nintendo continues to flanderize Luigi into this, like, impotent man-boy who is yeah. continuously demonstrating his competence. They so, even make a reference at one point to the year of Luigi. And yet, yeah. in every end every other possible moment, they're like, oh, Luigi, you're the worst. You're so, such the worst. And so, it's like... 
we we need presidential candidates to talk about how Luigi's life matters. Is that what you're telling me right now? <laughs> oh my god! Like, like we we need to have some kind of rally for Luigi right now because he's just not. There's too many microaggressions against Luigi. I am gonna not get into that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I I really the one thing I will say about you is that like the Paper Mario mechanics being different. I really liked. Uh, I really liked that as well. Um, the way that they differentiated him from Mario and Luigi with, you know, Paper Mario is like a stack of Paper Marios. And when he goes to attack, you know, that comes into play. If you jump, do a jump attack, every one of the stack of Marios jumps on the enemy one by one. If you do a hammer attack, uh, he splits up and attacks every enemy at once. Um, and then when he gets hit, the, st- the other... Mario's in the stack go away rather than his HP going away. And you can always refill that stack with your turn. Or I found an item that gave him a new a new Mario in the stack every single turn and just kept that on him for the rest of the game. Uh, and that, I think that definitely, that saved my life on, on a number of occasions when I just plain couldn't dodge some attacks, like you were saying in some of those boss fights. Paper Mario survived because he had a stag of eight guys. And I've, I've, every so often as you level up, like every five, six, seven levels, you uh, you get to pick a new perk. Uh, and uh, rarely have I had such a difficult time picking perks as I have in that game. Uh, as I got to the later ones, going, this might be my last perk, and there's like three awesome choices here. Yeah, <laughs> there's. The, uh, the the mechanics for, like, customizing the party and such are, you know, I always underestimate the, the, uh, the how well they do it in the Mario RPGs. And then, you know, I play it, I'm like, oh, wow, I have more going on here than I thought. Hmm. Yep. And I like, uh, you know, I, I like the notion of... I think, you, I think you both uh, cut I, each other off. I like the, I like the notion... I like the notion of... Like, oh, I'm going to build Mario up to be this sort of HP tank, and I'm going to build Luigi up to hit people so hard they burst. And, you know, Paper Mario is going to turn people into a kite and punch it really hard. So, you know, it's it's a fun dynamic. Yep, yep. I would still really, really, really love to see, like, you know, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door 2 or something along those lines, because I really loved that game. Um, but... You know, and I had I had issues with with Paper Jam. You know, like you said, the the difficulty of some of those that just that difficulty spike was really annoying sometimes, and having to keep track of like three different people in terms of who's going to dodge, and that kind of like it all got to be a little annoying sometimes. But it's still it's not a bad game. It's a, it's still a good game. I just you know there were things about it that I think I, I would have liked better if they'd been a little different. I can dig that. So, well, you must be excited about the rumors that Nintendo might be writing a Paper Mario for the Wii U. Uh, I would love a straight-up yeah. Paper Mario sequel that's not Sticker Star. Although I think you liked Sticker Star, didn't you? I I did, and I actually mentioned that in my review that um, I think some some of the stuff that I really enjoyed at the end of of Sticker Star maybe made me be a little more positive about that game in my review of it than I should have been based on the whole experience, um, and. So when I finished Paper Jam, I really hated the end of Paper Jam. So 
I uh, I gave it a I gave it at least a day before I even sat down and started review writing the review because I didn't want to you know go the other way with it. Um, that was the the final battle in Paper Jam. I, after losing a bunch of times, I ended up giving up and just letting it. it when you lose a fight like that, it will say, "Do you want to retry? Do you want to?" like leave the area so you could go out and do some more grinding or something if you wanted to and buy some more items or do you want to try again in easy mode and i just tried again in easy mode in the end after losing the final battle a bunch of times i was like you know i have better things to do with my time than fight this fight again the final battle i i i i know the final battle because i watched it on youtube because i wanted to hear the music uh, and the final battle is quite a gauntlet mm. yeah yeah uh, and and you go through a gauntlet that lasts a few hours of every boss battle you've already fought in the game. Papercraft. Uh, and before you get to the final battle. Everyone seems so upset about that, yet we all cheered when Mega Man did it. Well, Mega Man, Mega Man, you also had the ability to just, like, throw a metal disc at Metal Man and destroy him in one hit and be like, and moving on. Well, not the original Mega Man, no. Mega Man X, yes. Uh, no, you can kill Meg Metal Man in one hit in Mega Man 2 with his own metal disc. I would need to see proof of that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, issued a challenge. Uh, anyway, you're you're right. If they if they do make a paper or a new a new Paper Mario for the Wii U, and it's like you know the ones from the past, I I buy a Wii U for that. I don't have one yet, so. But we'll watch and see. I also saw a rumor a while back that they were releasing Thousand Year Door for the 3DS, but that never Ugh, seems to. That would be wonderful. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem to have gone any further than you know a rumor one day. I've never heard anything else about it. So, yeah. And we talked earlier about uh, games that you know, like things getting put off for. When I finish this. I'm finally going to go play the Witcher series. I have a new Ooh. gaming PC and I bought those. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but after I finish Digimon. It'll be yeah. a very yeah. different experience, I imagine. I am eventually going to finish Witcher 3 because, boy, do I love that game. That's a good game. I'm kind of waiting to play when the next expansion comes out. That is a good game. I think we're all in agreement on that one. We all like it. There seems to be some revisionist history going on with Witcher 3 right now. Not on our site, but uh, some people saying, yeah, well, you know, it's not really as good as people expect. It's kind of like how everybody's now complaining about Fallout 4 a little bit. Which, that's a whole other kettle of fish if we want to go into news Wait. right now. <laughs> They're only complaining about it now. I've heard people, you know, moaning about that game when it came out. Well, I moaned about it. I was one of them. <laughs> Rob, you convinced me not to buy it. I I tried to play Fallout 4 a few times and just got bored every time. Like yeah. I, I'm just I'm just over Bethesda's style of RPG. Steven, do me a favor. I'm gonna send you a link right now. I need you to fast forward on this video to 27 minutes and 50 seconds, if you please. I think you will uh, you will notice Metal Man going down in one hit. Thank you. Don't screw <laughs> with me. Don't screw with me on my Mega Man 2 knowledge, dude. Unfortunately, the thing where your messages aren't coming through is still happening. Oh, so. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm not seeing it either. I'm serious. Yeah. Still aren't coming through. Oh darn! Too bad I have you on Steam there, big. And that's only and that's only Mega Man Two, if that's the case. Yes, Mega Man. That's what I said. Not Mega Man Nine. Oh, for God's sake! Serious. I'm not saying every game should have a boss gauntlet. 
That's not what I'm saying. No, I was arguing that you can take out Metal Man in one disc in the original Mega Man 2, and you questioned it. What what per, what what time is this at? Uh, twenty seven fifty. He goes in with metal with Metal Man's ability and knocks him out in one hit. Uh, why do people who do speedruns talk the whole time? I don't know why people talk during like, speedruns, but anywho, I get uh, that I get that I'm being old saying that, but when I watch a playthrough, I don't want to hear some guy be like, "Yeah, so anyway, uh, when this game first came out, KG Inafune was Batman." Uh, little known fact. What? <laughs> Anywho, uh, so what do we think about Bethesda? Wow. Be- Bethesda basically upping the price. You didn't pro- kill him in one hit. Yes, he did. Oh my God, are you gonna tell me? Are you gonna tell me what reality is? He knocks out Metal yes. Man in one he hit. Killed him. He killed him very quickly. That is true. Oh, do uh, seriously, Steven? Seriously. He shot him like five times. He threw five discs out. The first one hit him, and that was it. God, do I need to refer to a wiki right now? Okay, somebody talk about oh, Fallout 4. Awesome. Uh, somebody talk about upping the Fallout 4 uh, price of the season pass now, because apparently they're going to do a lot more Fallout 4, as we talked earlier in the show about games as a service. Yeah, so you, you this goes back to something we were just saying about, you know, I had decided, you know, like, I, you know, I'm going to hold off on buying Fallout 4, uh, you know, just... Having heard all your gripes about it, I was like, oh, I don't want to pay like normal price for this game. But then I see this news this week that yeah, now they're thinking, now they're saying, well, we're going to raise the price on the the season pass. Everybody has really liked. It's a fair percentage of the DLC for like Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I do have to go ahead and buy the game now at regular price and get the season pass or do i say screw it if you're going to treat me like this and and raise the price maybe i should just wait and get the uh game of the year edition whatever they call it when that comes out with all the deals you know and that's my real rub here is that i'm i i I don't like to pick on any company indiscriminately but if I could use the F word on this show, I would say it to Bethesda because this is 100%. Some guy in a suit said, all right, we're going to release a little extra content. That's fine. But if we tell people the price is going to go up, they're going to feel like they have to buy it now to save money. This is 100% to psychologically make people buy something now without knowing what's going to be in it. And then at that point, they're like, well, you already bought it, so enjoy your free horse armor. You know, not that, not that they're going to go that far because they've been, you know, pretty good with DLC, the DLC and stuff. So, like, it's not like, you know, you're, you're, you're guaranteed to get something bad. But I don't think – this is very, like, WB buyer beware type thing. Like, I don't – I don't have an issue with buying a season pass. Um, I get that people don't like buying them because you don't know what content you're going to get. Um, that, you know, I don't personally care, but obviously that's, you know, that's personal taste. It's a, but it's a question of trust. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you feel like yeah. you can trust this particular developer to give you content that's going to be worth more than the amount that you gave them. Yes, exactly. And the, in this case, the contentious point from in my mind is the well buy it now otherwise it's going to go up in price exactly. because we all know that these companies operate on a we need, they need to buy it now not later like a game is successful on its early sales not later at least in the AAA world this is 100% we are going to coerce people into buying the season pass now by raising the price later now do do we Yeah can, but go ahead Caitlin go ahead 
Well, I mean, I get that, and I'm not trying to defend it, but the whole concept of a season pass sort of works on the similar idea that you're, you know, buy this thing now. And, you know, even if they don't change the price, now you can buy a season pass when you pick up the game before you even know what the content is. And the idea is, well, buy it now so you don't spend more money buying it piecemeal later. But you can buy the season pass later. That's the thing. You can buy the season pass at the same price later that you could early. So you can wait to buy the season pass until all the DLC is out. And then it's like, okay, I'm getting this discount. I I have to. But what they're doing now is they're saying, if you wait, even if it's good, you're going to pay more money. Yeah. So right now, they're trying to up the value proposition of buying something that you don't know what it is by saying later, it's you're not going to be able to get this good of a deal. Yeah, I'm, I'm, later I'm, on a season, Normally with a season pass, even if you buy it later, you can still get that deal. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to equate them. I'm just saying that the, the at a certain level, there's a similar mentality behind them. It's just this is a shittier practice. So, well, what I mean by that, like, like the the reason I take issue with that statement is that again, the season pass in a normal scenario, like take Battlefront, Battlefront fifty dollars season pass, I can buy it now, or I can wait until all the DLC is out, and it's like, oh, if this is what I want, there's no risk. I'll buy the season pass because it's cheaper. I have not taken any risk that way. What they're doing here is they're saying, yeah, you could wait until later, but even if you do that, you're, you're going to pay more money. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's, they're trying it's kind to of like, coerce you into doing it. It's yeah, but they the do whole... the same. That's They do the same thing when they are trying to sell it to you when the game comes out or before the game comes out when you don't know what it is. Yeah, but you don't have to buy it then because the price isn't going to go up later. Yeah, I think this what what this is bringing to mind for me is the the argument that a lot of people are having on the internet in the last couple of years about should you pre-order games at mm-hmm. all? Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like what they're doing in this case is saying you can pre-order this game now for this amount of money, or if you wait, you can pre-order it for more money. Yeah, so you're it, getting the same thing. It, it's kind of the same reason why if we take Fallout 4 and we, we kind of compare it to some of the other things that have gone on this year, you know, Dying Light, they upped the, the the base game actually went back up because they were doing their enhanced edition, which was going to come with the following expansion pack. There was some confusion over that when they first started to do it. Uh, the tr- the absolute train wreck of Square Enix trying to explain the new Hitman game, and I'm on board, I want to play this game, but every time they come out and explain it, I'm like, can you guys seriously like sit down, have a cup of coffee, and come up with a single message about this game, because you're confusing people, and you're creating problems, I actually like what they're doing with this game, but it's confusing to people. I agree with Steven in that, I was not going to buy Fallout 4. I'm actually a test case for this. I was not going to buy the Fallout 4 Season Pass. Then when I heard that the Season Pass was going up in price, I was like, well, I better buy it now because I might want to... Hey, wait a minute. That's exactly what you guys want me to do. Like, I wasn't actually going to buy this, but now you're making me feel like it's a value proposition even though I don't know if I'm even going to be interested in anything. What they're doing is they're adding risk to waiting. Yes. There's no risk in waiting normally with a season pass. The fact of the matter is, yes, they want you to buy it early, but they don't penalize you for not doing that. Now they are penalizing you for waiting. That is the point, Caitlin, is that if you wait, okay, you pay okay, more money. Okay, okay, okay. I, again, like I said, Deep I'm rest. not trying to equate them. I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm just saying that there is a similar mentality in the, oh, I should buy a season pass now because if I wait and buy it piecemeal later, it will end up costing me more money. Okay, well, I, I never that, but I understand. 
is never convinced me because I'm usually okay. I have never found a situation where I have all this DLC and I find that it was worth it for me to buy a season pass. I might have liked to buy a few things, like the substantial additions, but that usually ends up being cheaper for me in the long run than buying a season pass. So it never has been a you know a selling point for me. And we, we also saw this earlier in the year with the Deus Ex... Uh... What's the new one called? Human Revolution. Mankind Divided. Mankind with, Divided. Yeah, yeah with, with the new Deus Ex, when they try to do the augment your pre-order to incentivize more people to pre-order the game so that then you would unlock new things. Like, it, it, it's again, it's that risk of, it, eventually you have to wonder, are they going to do a, well, if you pre-order the game, you can get it for $50, but if you wait till release date, you get it for 60 Like, how far are we away, how, how far away are we from that kind of future? Where they're like, somebody runs the numbers, somebody wearing a suit goes, look how many more pre-orders we get if we lower the price by 5 or $10. You know, that that's really weird. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like they're, I like Bethesda, you know? I have a buddy who works at Bethesda. I like Bethesda, but this is kind of one of those, like, I don't know. First off, the, the three announced pieces of dlc did not interest me at all i mean make of that what you will but i'm not really you know i didn't really like fallout 4 to begin with but now the idea of you're gonna up the season pass and maybe i want to pick it up now because maybe i'm gonna like what you're doing like i, I don't know that this 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 doesn't feel thought out the way that square enix didn't seem to have it thought out with deus ex and with the new hitman this doesn't – maybe it is nefariously thought out, but it does not feel thought out. And I'm – until you guys have a firm idea of what's going on, like the new Hitman, they weren't even sure when the maps were going to come out. And then two months before release date, they're talking about like, oh, yeah, we've changed our plans again. I'm like, why don't you guys figure out your plans and then get back to me? You know, like like maybe – I don't know. I mm. whole thing skeeves me out a little bit. And I think in the end, I am probably just going to wait and get the, uh, you know, like the later edition with all the, all the stuff. And yeah. Not even, not, not even worry about it. If if so. they if they told me, hey, we're going to do two story based epic, like I bought the season pass for Bioshock Infinite, and they were very clear, like, hey, this is what we're doing. And those episodes were hit and miss. Like, I liked one. I didn't like the other one so much. Like, it, it was... I knew I was making that decision. I bought the season pass because I was interested. And you did get it on the cheap for that. So, you know, I, I guess I, I did kind of do what they, they want you to do. And I had a mixed bag reaction to it. You know, Dishonored was very honest about what they were doing with that. Hey, you're going to get these two episodes and this uh, kind of challenge mode if you buy our season pass. But otherwise, here's everything for the same price. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I want games as a platform. I think maybe that's a cool idea, but don't, you know, don't hold a gun to my head to make me buy stuff on the cheap. I, I don't like that. I don't like being, I don't like a high pressure situation when it comes to buying a video game. Fallout, Agreed. Also, Fallout 4 wasn't all that great. So, you know, that's, that's the other, <laughs> that's, I, I, ye. ye. Don't know what else. We don't to have say. to get into that kind of work. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, but there was something else in in news I wanted to talk about, and I'm completely blanking right now. I'm tired, and we've been podcasting for a while. 
The VLR room? Yes! Oh, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Not tired anymore. Okay, so they're, they're doing <laughs> one of those escape rooms that my wife did uh, in Philadelphia. They're doing one of those escape rooms. It's kind of like a, you know, a, a game where you go in with a group of people and you got to figure out how to get out. They're going to model one after Virtue's Last Reward, the uh, Zero Escape games in L.A. And I think we all need to do this, but I also think it might involve us killing each other. So I think that'll make it even more fun. Look, Rob, if it makes you feel any better, I would never betray you. Yeah, sure. Okay. I, I trust you. I like, if, if it was Tuker and Caitlin versus you and me, I wouldn't betray anybody. Although, mm-hmm. if my bracelet was going to blow me up, <laughs> the, pro- the, the problem is that if you everybody cooperates in VLR, everybody can survive. Well, minus that one part that makes it impossible. But Oh, Dio, you jackass. <laughs> I, I would def. I think this is a great idea. I, I think it's it's one of those great promotional things. I hope it's up and running for E3 because that would be an absolute blast. Apparently, there's going to be some via, uh, there's going to be some zero time dilemma reveals at GDC, and I am super excited to hear more. I am looking forward to it. I think wasn't it supposed to start opening in April? Oh, I want to do this. How crazy is it that it's happening in the U.S.? Yeah, actually, that's yeah. Cool. proof to you right there of how much more popular that series is in the U.S. Yeah, I am. I am down. I am definitely down with doing that. Yes, uh, it's opening April fifteenth. Okay, we're so doing it. So it we're, will we're most assuredly it. be there. We're doing it. Um, in slightly sad news, sli- I say slightly sad. I, I mean actual sad news. Uh, really sad to see uh, the closing down of game trailers. Um, I actually remember the first time I found the website game trailers. It was when the Metal Gear Solid 3 first trailer came out, and my buddy and I were trying to watch it, and we were like, hey, what's this thing called game trailers? I feel like that was a really good institution for such a long time in video gaming, and I really like the guys and gals that worked there, and it's just... Man, it sucks. It really, really sucks. I, I, maybe I'm the only one on, on site that feels that way, but it's it's a downer. I, I really liked their reviews. I liked uh, I liked their written reviews. I liked their their video game reviews. I liked their coverage. Their retrospective series were amazing, like the Resident Evil one. That that's like my go-to, like putting on one of their retrospective things when I'm grading, just as like background noise. I would do that all the time, and it just it feels like a real. It's kind of the same way I felt when EGM closed. It's like, oh man, really? Like one of my go-to things for for video game news is now kind of closed up, and that blows. Indeed. Yes. Yeah, and I, I don't think any of us like to hear that you know a site devoted to games has had to shut down right. for whatever reason. Um, just because we all love what we do and we love this community and. Game trailers is a big part of that community for a lot of people. Yep. Yep. It, it feels like there are less and less places that I go to for my game news now. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get nasty. And I don't want to call things out. But I, I think a lot of a lot of gaming sites are now the quote big name gaming sites. There's a lot more like. This is what happened on the latest episode of Agent Carter, or like, here's what's going on in TV this week. It's like, it's video games and TV, or video games and movies, and like... The problem is that I think there's a lot of overlap in the audiences, and it's very expensive to run a website like that without having a bunch of stupid pandery crap, so that's one of the few ways they can compromise. And not that I necessarily 
like that, but I am clearly in the minority because it's like when Kotaku started talking about like Japan, Japan culture or like, uh, you know, like tangentially related things and everybody was like, oh, is this a video game site or what? Like, I don't know that I'm ever so bent on reading about one particular thing that it bothers me, but I definitely agree that you see that trend of trying to expand the limits of what is what constitutes coverage. Like, when it's like, today, Kanye West said he was going to play Candy Crush. Ha! Candy Crush! Yeah. And it's just like an article that embeds his tweet. Yeah. Well, I think... Go ahead, Tucker. We always always talk about, you know, amongst ourselves, the the fact that as a volunteer site, even though we got a pretty big staff at this point, um, uh, we still have to be pretty careful in terms of what we do and don't choose to cover. There's some stuff out there that we like that we think would be of interest to our audience that we choose not to cover because it opens up a can of worms of, well, why don't you cover other things that are similar to this? Because mm-hmm. um, we just have to say, like, there's a limit to how much stuff we can do. And, and I feel like those sites are, even though they are sites where people get paid to do things, I think, you know, they're, they're still running some of that same risk of, if they expand too much, you know, where's uh, where's the end of of how much they can manage to still cover and do a good job of it? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, look at IGN. IGN covers like everything now, so it's like their site is a mess. Yeah, I, it's, like, I, it's like their their sidebar is like four hundred different categories. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be all holier than thou, but you know, I, I've thought before about whether or not I would want to write and make money as a video game writer, as, as like a reviewer. And the answer for me is very clearly no. I mean, I am a teacher. That that is my passion. That's that's what gets me up every morning. And even when I play like three. Well, yes, definitely, definitely coffee. But that's what keeps him up. No, free call, free faculty coffee is like a game changer. Like that, that, that will keep me at this school forever. If they take that away, I'm out. Um, but it's like when I play a bad game or when I have a couple games that I, that I'm not really enjoying very much, like. I start to lose interest in video games. So like, I would never want to be paid for my work, as weird as that may sound. And I think it allows us as a volunteer website to stay focused on the things that we want to stay focused on. If my livelihood, if my paycheck was coming from the number of hits that we get, you're damn right I would probably put a review of The Witch opening February 19th on the front of my website. You know, like I I get that. I totally understand that. I just really wish that there was a way for those sites to still be focused. Maybe they don't want to be just focused on video games. Maybe they're totally okay with going in that direction. But, you know, when I, when I start seeing TV and movie reviews on GameSpot, I start feeling a little weird. I'm like, well, you you look at, you know, everybody, this is the example everybody talks about of like, well, the history channel or (laughs) TLC or whatever, like are so far away from, what they started out as yeah and yeah they, their their names don't really accurately reflect their content anymore aliens and you you can say oh yes <laughs> you can say all along the way that they were making valid business decisions um and you know so as a as a business a thing that's trying to make money i you know it's tough to really criticize that yeah. but at the same time as a fan of the thing that they were originally doing, you can still be sad and say, I wish that they hadn't made that decision. 
Uh, yeah, well, that's I, I agree with that. There, are, I'll, I'll leave the names of the sites out, but there's one site in particular lately that like had a big exodus of some of its longtime staff and is now posting a lot more like sensational type of headlines mm-hmm. and like attempting to include its personal opinion and stories a lot more and like intentionally saying incendiary things because they know it'll get people reading the story. Um, yes. and we that, all know what site you're talking about. I've yeah, got and, three in my head right now, so I'm not 100. And that is, and that to me is a real big shame as a as a site that's been around for a long time. Um, you know, to see that happen, and that's not necessarily completely related to what we've been talking about. But like when coverage choice, when coverage change choices are made, or the way in which sites are going to cover things change, that that's that's true. So uh, let me revise my original statement of like I'm not so set on reading about one thing. I'm not so set about reading on one thing as long as what I'm reading is substantive and at least interesting. But when it's like, oh, this developer sucks balls anyway, let's go talk about how lame what you like is. Yeah. 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 I I, I remember when G4 started. I, th- I think I was in 10th grade. And you mean when it was tech TV? Well, uh, so I jumped into it when it was G4. I didn't actually follow a lot of tech TV, but when they did, like, you know, the action show that was Blister and the MMO show that was uh, Portal, I remember how hokey it was, but there was also a genuineness to it that I found very endearing. Like, I I remember the show Cheat that was devoted to, you know, figuring out how to get through the toughest video games. Like... It was so endearing. Like it, there was something pure about that, and it, it, you know, uh, maybe this is just old white guy syndrome. As I hit thirty-one this year, where I'm just like, you know, back in my day, we could enjoy things like this, and Obama ruined America. Like I blame Obama for G4 falling apart. But like I just, I really, <laughs> thanks I Obama. Thanks Obama. You know, <laughs> thanks uh, but, Obama. But I, I really, I miss that sort of purity. I, I miss that like real passion for me. I, I'm, I don't need people to talk about video games in a highfalutin nature all the time. I think those are great discussions to have. I love reading, you know, some of the some of the intricacies of Undertale. I think that's really cool to read some of that stuff. But sometimes I just want to see people talking about games and talking about whether they're fun or not. You know, like sometimes I just want to turn my brain off and just enjoy it. And I don't know. I miss EGM. I miss, you know, Game Informer's yeah. still good. Kim, we love you. I, 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 I miss... Yep. I, I I miss EGM. I miss Game Pro. I miss I miss as effed up as it was at times. I miss Game Fan and how delightful like delightfully crazy it was. I miss looking in the back of magazines and seeing like the anime section and wondering when the hell did Goku get blonde hair? I haven't seen that in Dragon Ball Z yet. Like I know some of our listeners might have just had like total nostalgia right now for what I'm saying, but I miss that air of mystery about video games. I miss that genuineness of video games. And it's 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 a weird time right now for the industry. It's almost like when you hear the, the giant bomb guys talk about, you know, what need is there for E3? And we were talking about some of our E3 plans already. And I said to Caitlin, it was weird to get the Deus Ex demo because I was like, you guys are just going to put this on GameSpot later on today. Like, I didn't need to fly across the country to see this. Because I was going to get the exact same presentation, or when like when they finally showed Bloodborne at uh, the following, I, I can't remember if it was GDC or whatever, when they showed the exact same demo that Steven and I got at E3. Like, what is the point of going to E3? Well, the point is to get my hands on a controller and actually try out a game, and that's why I don't like sitting in a theater to watch a game being played at me. I want to play the game, and then I want to report to our readers and our listeners 
what I thought of the game. Like, to go back to XCOM 2, that was a weird demo last year where it was so structured and it was just a theater where they played the game at you and I was like I have questions I want to see you guys like actually play this game I want to see how it is instead of like this is the exact same theater demo over and over again like I kind of wanted to see some different things and we saw that with Dragon Age Inquisition so I don't know you know it's this weirdness of like what is the point if all of this stuff can be directly fed to potential buyers without any media coverage you know like there's a million and a half videos on the dying light youtube channel do you need me to tell you whether you're gonna like the game or not i think you can watch a couple of the videos and figure out whether or not you need to buy it it's a weirdness yep yeah and again it's kind of the internet culture we live in part of that i think i know what you're you're talking about when you're talking about egm and part of that was because you couldn't see all those things right on youtube then you know later you you relied on the monthly issue to tell you you know what was at e3 and these previews and Mm -hmm. you know everything like that because that was the main way we tended to get our news and now it's all online and it's like you know i I don't even really rely on uh, a specific site so much as I rely on, you know, like forums that just aggregate news articles from every which way to get my gaming news. And I don't feel like I'm I'm missing anything compared to ye old days of EGM and whatnot. I, I remember. But we, yeah, I, I remember reading a copy of Game Informer at my buddy Brian's house and it was the Game Informer where they did the reveal of Resident Evil 4, like, when they did the big gameplay change. And I, I remember, like, I could tell the writer was struggling to get across just how different this was. Like, he was basically typing in all caps, you don't understand, this is completely different, and I don't, I'm struggling to tell you. Whereas now, like Caitlin's saying, there would just be a video to show you what it is. Sort of like the other news story I wanted to talk about briefly, the new Valkyria gr- game. I took one look at that video and said, yeah, I'm probably not going to like this, but I hope other people do. Like, there was no explanation. I just, the video popped up and I was like, okay, let's take a look at this demo. All right, that looks like Dynasty Warriors. Okay, I'm out. All right, moving on. I guess I'll play that remastered collection right now. Caitlin, am I... Can I get your opinion as a Valkyria lover? Did you watch the video for Azure Revolution? Yes. I didn't watch all of it because I got turned off. Okay. Um, I'm not the only one feeling that right midway. now. Midway. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not, I never, I don't want to pass be awesome. before we actually see. It might yeah. be awesome. And yeah. you don't, you know, I want to see the final product before I'm like, eh. But I mean, I wasn't feeling the combat um, this, as much as I would have if it were more of, you know, traditional Valkyria Chronicles style, but then again, it's not supposed to be. It's, yeah, it's supposed to be different. So yeah. Stephen pointed that out to me in the message boards. I love him for it, but he was like, "It's a spinoff," and I'm like, "I know, but yeah." yeah. Well, it's a spinoff. Not- I'd like to clarify what I said. I said it's a spinoff. Anyways, have fun playing Fantasy Star Five. Wait. <laughs> It could be really awesome. I, I hope it. Maybe maybe it'll play. Yeah, amazing. but they they are taking a risk. Yeah, it, doing, it, it doesn't have the things that I liked about Valkyria Chronicles. Maybe that will be okay. Maybe it'll be its own thing, but I, I really liked Valkyria Chronicles for what it was, and this game... I, I think Caitlyn is, is being 
Caitlin's saying exactly what I'm not articulating very well, which is this is not what I want, but that does not mean that it will not be good. Does that make sense? Like, yes. Yeah. And sometimes that's good. Maybe sometimes things really surprise you and that maybe this game comes out and I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. Like, but that, that video just kind of, uh, it, it immediately turned me off and it's one of those, maybe if I play it, I'll really like it. So yeah, I will look forward. Well, to it, 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 it has <laughs> a ways. It's like, I think it's supposed to be the end of the year in Japan. And that, that could mean the end of fiscal year 2016. So we don't know necessarily when it's coming out um, in Japan. And then if we get it in English, I would hope just because any, any Valkyria would be better than no Valkyria, even if it is a spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. It could be awesome. It it could play really, really fun. You know, I, I like the fact that they're asking for fan input much the same way as the final fantasy 15 demo. And I I think that's a really good thing, you know that that could end up making that game really special. So I'm tired. Are you guys tired? Yeah. No, okay. it's one o'clock here. But oh. I do want to go play Ikineo on uh, my TV. I need to get you to bring me back some of the uh, world famous Japanese Scotch, as weird as that may sound. But the the Japanese whiskey yeah, the that Zaki won. One. Yeah, the one that won like best whiskey in the world two years ago. I need you to bring me back a bottle of that. That's your mission. Yeah, but according to Whiskey Snobs, it's only because whiskey elsewhere is terrible, which is the snobbiest thing I've ever heard. I, I like whiskey, I like bourbon, and I like scotch. I don't care when it comes from. I do not turn my nose up to a blend. I, I enjoy it. So I had a little bit of it, and I really liked it at a friend's house. So, you know, Senpai, if you want to bring me back a bottle, that would be great. Senpai, Senpai. Okay. Uh, so I think we're good, right? Everybody's happy. Everybody's good. Had a good podcast. Talked about a lot of things, a lot of controversial things. Uh, I'm ready to go to bed. I have to get up and teach tomorrow morning. I know it's Saturday. Welcome to boarding school. I was just going to say, yeah, welcome. Welcome to living at a boarding school. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I was going to say, are you in Japan? (laughs) No, uh, the calendar is moving forward. It doesn't look like it's supposed to rain for at least four days, so we still have some time to train and get ready for whatever we need to fight. I guess I would be one of the teachers in that in Persona, wouldn't I? Huh. That is exactly where I learned that. So, so, so would I be like the the teacher that knows about the midnight hour, or would I be just like the one that's asking random questions when you're trying to sleep? I really hope I'd be one of the helpful ones, but you know. As long as you're not the one hitting on the students, it's all good. Okay, that's good. That's good. I, 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 as long as I'm not Gendo Ikari from Evangelion just yelling at my child and trying to take over the universe or something like that. Why is it always women? Hmm? The, hmm? Hmm? No. I, in per, like, I'm thinking of, um, what's her face from Persona? Uh, uh, crap. Now I don't even remember which, which Persona it is, but there's, you know, the busty... Yep. Homeroom teacher. Oh who's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's because it's you the know, male, Caitlin. It's because it's the male fantasy for the. I know. I know. I'm just being honest with you. Like that's what it is. Like. <laughs> well, theoretically, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean. Well, like, yeah, but that's that's the trope they're playing into. Anywho, Persona Five, believe. <laughs> that's all I care about, right? Um, now. 
I'm really tired. Okay, it's time to end the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I have nothing. I, I'm literally brain dead right now. So I, I it's time to end the podcast. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Of course, we always love the, the iTunes reviews, especially the ones that call me either A, a douche, or say I'm the worst human being ever. Yikes. I have pissed some people off. Just don't take it out on everybody else. Everybody else is so nice in the show. If you hate me, that's fine, but Yikes. No, in fact, if you'd like to take it out on me, because I don't care what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like maybe my antics on that Fallout episode, or we're still feeling, we're still feeling the fallout from that. See what Rem- I mean? The fallout. <laughs> <laughs> my my philosophy is: if someone's not mad at what you're doing, then you're not doing enough. That's probably true. That's probably true. But if you're, if you're being agreeable all of the time, then you're probably not saying too much. That's terribly interesting. Well, I, again, I, I love positive comments. I love uh, positive criticism. You know, constructive criticism. If yeah, ha- if you have things for us to to say and work on, you know, constructive negative criticism is okay. You're a douche is useless, and I could care less. If that's your comment, I can't so, and, be a douche. And I, I, it may seem cruel of me to say that over and over again, and not friendly, and I'm an asshole, and I'm okay with that because that kind of c- criticism is crappy. If you have comments on what substantive qualitative comments on, hey, you know, maybe you should ease off on like saying this kind of thing or something like that, like what I'm saying right now, that's criticism that's valuable, but. Just insulting someone and being like, this guy's an ass. I don't like him. Well, that's – then don't don't listen. Well, well, the guy who called me a douche was say, said I was kind of douchey sometimes. And that, that's – and it's still okay, that's, positive. Okay, that's, that's a little less extreme. Yeah. That, no, he was that nice is, That's fine. And, and granted, a couple <laughs> episodes there I was being a, a little assy, so I apologize for that. But, you know, we get impassioned on this show. We, we have things that we, we get heated about and things that we're really – you know, there there are times where Steven really pisses me off, where he's like, "Well, oh, Rob, I don't really see it that way," and I'm like, "God, I hate you. You That's can never ki- you can kill Metal Man with just one shot of the metal. Come on, <laughs> I don't see it that way. Oh my God, I I linked you to two videos. I reject your reality. <laughs> I, I linked you to two videos. I'm just gonna look at my Bloodborne statue because it makes look, me very happy. Just think of me as the bad guy from Psychopath. I just want you to feel hatred so you can make your own decisions and live life like a human. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Be sure to give us positive reviews on iTunes. Uh, And for Steven, Caitlin, and Tooker, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you all later.